So in Young, in young Justice. Not Young Justice. I'm so sorry. I young said that Avengers. Here. We are not on a DC podcast. Let sir. me get under the table. That's fine. <laughs> I don't. No offense. Take. I mean, frankly, I don't give a shit about the Avengers either. So I'm, not, <laughs> yeah. I'm not mad. Justice League Avengers. It's all the same to me. Never felt that emotion. Don't know what that. I don't know feels what like. you're talking about. X Men. X Men. In the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. The only hope is X-Men. Welcome to Cerebro, the X-Men podcast where a homo and his friends dig deep into the history of Homo Superior. I'm your host, Connor Goldsmith, and with me today is Ashley Elaine. Ash, if you're nasty, oh, I've used that joke already. Ash's <laughs> friends. I think I said that about my own dad, which made people laugh. Here with Ash Elaine, host of the X of Words podcast, a great X-Men podcast that you should listen to if you haven't before. Ash is here to talk to me today about David Elaine, no relation. We'll get to that. Prodigy, we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. But first, Ash, how are you today? I'm very, I'm very well. Thank you. Ten tonight, so it's, it's uh, an English 9 p.m. Right, it's an LA 1 p.m. So we finagled the, I was like, I'm taking a long lunch today because <laughs> I have to record a podcast with a British person. But, um, <laughs> So as of recording, this is the first time I've sat down to record with a guest after Entertainment Weekly declared this podcast one of the top 10 best podcasts of 2021. <laughs> Thank you. No worries. Ash, for the air horns. <laughs> I am stunned, frankly. I mean, I knew that Christian Holub, the writer, I knew he listened to the show. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he was very sweet and he was like, maybe I can get it into like our favorite things of the week or whatever in some issue. And I was like, that would be amazing. And then no warning, just drops best podcast. Well done. What can you say? That's fully crazy. I am so grateful. I'm not going to say I don't deserve it. I'm just surprised. You deserve. You deserve. <laughs> well done. We can, we can definitely be surprised by the things that were coming. Right. I mean, you know, I was just talking to like my friend Jordan a couple weeks ago and they were like, your show's going so well, you're doing amazing stuff. And I was like, yeah, I know. I just like, you know, it's just hard sometimes to, to believe that it's real because it's all like on the computer. And then, you know, three weeks later, I'm like, it's like, boom, bitch, here it is in the magazine. I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is like a real thing. That's yeah, crazy. It, is very, it is very weird. That's crazy. You do all the weird little waveform shit and then you just release it and then right. people go, oh, I've listened to that. And you go, oh shit, yeah. That People see that stuff. Your show's getting pretty big itself. Like I have loved watching it grow. I think it's such a great idea, these like bite-sized episodes, as opposed to, it's sort of an aperitif before you listen to <laughs> a seven-hour stream, bro. <laughs> I think that, you know, we need that. We need more people who can actually control themselves on the airway. <laughs> it's all about balance. It's all about balance. Yeah, it's important. It's a give and take, right? No, I mean, I made it. I made it because, uh, so I've got ADHD and I find it really, really hard to, basically, any podcast over about an hour, it takes me double the amount of time to listen to it because I get halfway through and I'm like, oh yeah, that's amazing. Well, I'm sorry. It's, it's all right. I love spending days with you. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but like I'll listen to half an hour, then I'll get distracted, then I'll come back and I'll start listening to it again. I forgot what you said, so I've got to rewind it 20 minutes. And then it'll just like, eventually, I've been at it all day. And I was like, how do I do this in a way that not only I can make, but I can consume as well? Mm-hmm. And that, that was it. That was kind of it. That's really smart. You want to know what's really funny? Yeah. I have ADHD. <laughs> I know. That's why it takes me a long time to edit these. Well, also because they're so fucking long. And also I do it once a week. So I guess it doesn't take me. It feels like it takes me a long time. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I guess it's just that like this is where my attention hyper focusing happens. Yes. Is I'm just like, here I am. This is the thing I'm doing. So, you know, but listening to other people's podcasts, I find somewhat difficult unless I am a little bit stoned. And then I'm like in a podcast place, in a place of a place of podcast. <laughs> Frankly, for my own podcast, sometimes I need to be a little a little stoned. I, the nicest thing about L.A. is you can just walk over to the dispensary before you sit down for three hours to edit your podcast on a Sunday mm-hmm. and just, you know, be very, very high while you do that. See, that's a freedom that you have. And I love that for you. I love that story for you. Um, over here, you'd be meeting the authorities quite quickly. Right. Yeah. Not not something that's happened yet across the pond. I mean, frankly, it hasn't happened yet in most of this big wacky country. So, true. you know, I mean, New York mm-hmm. finally legalized it, but they won't be able to set up the retail apparatus until like 2023. So now everybody is like, well, yeah, chomping at the bit. Anyway, all that to say, uh, <laughs> welcome back to Cerebro, now a celebrated Entertainment Weekly top-level podcast. Um, I'm, I'll get over this eventually. It's just I'm still really in shock about it, honestly. But that's a great occasion to let you all, the listeners, the Zala gang, tuning in so intently know about the first two guests of January... First week of January to tie in with his new novel, The Unfamiliar Garden, and a little thing you might have heard of called Ten Lives and Excess of Wolverine. Benjamin Percy will be joining us to talk about Arkady Rosevich, Omega Red, a character I remember mostly from the Capcom game, uh, if I'm being honest. I mean, he has some big stories in the 90s, and then I think a lot of solo Wolverine stuff that I didn't follow super closely. So, I'm going to do some digging before I have to talk about him, but I'm excited. We're also going to talk about Mr. Percy's work generally, about what he's up to in Wolverine and X-Force, and hopefully a little bit about the weekly event that will be playing out as most of the rest of the line is on pause. Then in the second week, returning guest Zoe Tunnell, writer of Blade Maidens with fellow friend of the pod, Valentine Smith, will be joining me to dig into Laura Kinney, formerly X-23, lately the gal Wolverine, the main Wolverine at the moment. She's on the X-Men team, so you know what? Daddy is nowhere to be found. He's off with that guy, that Jeff Bridges looking guy. Not Jeff. Jeff Bannister, the uh, the CIA agent, or the FBI Not agent Jeff that he's Bridges. away with. <laughs> he looks like the Big Lebowski. I feel like it's intentional. <laughs> At first, I was like, I thought you meant Solom. And then I was like, oh no, the oh, other no. guy. The other, other guy. Yeah, 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 He's yeah. Got yeah. A lot of no, guys. no. If, yeah, well, Solom's the guy he definitely has. And I'm sure that Mr. Percy and I will talk about that because I am all about it. I am really excited about 2022 for Cerebro. I have. Even more exciting guests lined up through the end of January, into February, into March. It's getting crazy. 
and I have like a million guests who I just haven't managed to get on the schedule yet. So if you're listening, you're like, when's my week? I'm like, you're, I swear you're on the list. It's just a lot of, it's complicated scheduling. I'm just going to announce those two for now because the third week I'm still figuring out a booking potentially. But anyway, that's what's to come. So please feel free to send in any questions you have about Omega Red or about Ben Percy's work generally and any questions you have for me and Zoe about Laura Kinney. With all of that business out of the way, Ash, I would love to talk a bit about you. I'd love to hear about your journey to the X-Men franchise, how you learned to love it, why you love it, and when it feels natural, why you fell in love with this character, specifically David Elaine. Oh, okay. I mean, there's a very obvious link that we'll <laughs> yeah. get to, I'm sure, but yeah. <laughs> so um, I have always... Uh, for, for for as long as I can remember, I loved mutants as a concept. I was kind of raised on uh, X Men the animated series. Mm -hmm. It was a huge part of my my the ecosystem of my youth, but not necessarily a deep deep passion. And I think as I grew up and I suddenly realised that I liked comic books, or I I became a bit of a voracious reader. Basically, I I would read anything. So I was into like the the Belgrade series. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. My niche. <laughs> but I used to do... No, it's. Not, I mean, well, I work in sci-fi fantasy publishing, so it's not that niche to me. <laughs> but, <I> was, <laughs> but that's um, David Eddings for people who are not familiar. Gradually, I just sort of drifted into shorter and shorter and shorter print. <laughs> yeah. Well, ADHD. This is the thing. Like, I also, if you were going to get me to read something, when like I had my favorites that were novels that I did read but like sitting down you know my my dad's favorite book was the ones in future king or whatever yeah one of them anyway when he was 12 or something so when I'm 12 he gives me that book and I read it but it took me a while whereas like when he gave me x-men comics when I was five or whatever I took to those like a duck to water I was like I'll read through all of them I will read the whole Claremont run by the age of 12 <laughs> You know, that was not a problem. I, yeah. There were pretty pictures. It drew my attention. It was exciting, you know? It's like micro-dosing micro hyperfocus. Yeah, it absolutely is. Because I'm like, whoa, what's going on now? And the thing about Claremont that's so great, especially, like, when I was reading that stuff is, you go, wow, wait, what's happening now? And then it's literally like a three-paragraph soliloquy. <laughs> but your attention's been caught. So I'm like, wow, I just got through all that text without even thinking about it. You know yeah, I, mean? I know. Um, and yeah, with, with longer novels, it was basically either an eight-month slog or a mad hyper-focused sprint. I would do nothing else mm -hmm. but read that book from front to back, or it would take me a year to finish it. And I, I, like when I moved to comics, then I had way more of a consistent grasp of the stories because I could yeah. focus in, I could dip out, I could be distracted, and it's fine. Right, you could just go back. Every 20 pages, you can pause for a second. This is why I'm much, I have trouble with uh, film for the same reason, yeah. but I have no problem binging television, which doesn't make any sense because I'll watch more TV than I would have to of a single film. But the idea of sitting down for three hours or whatever is very daunting. But the idea of, well, every 45 minutes I can get up and do something else is like extremely liberating. To yeah. Me. And <laughs> I, I genuinely think some of it is your concept of time yeah as much as it is your actual attention span because mm -hmm. thinking that it's going to be daunting puts me in a state of right almost, exactly. almost flight <laughs> like mental fight or flight and like now you know now i'm editing long manuscripts and stuff for work and a lot of what i i do is i'm just like all right i'm gonna do 20 pages yes 
and when you do it like that, then it's not so arduous. Pomodoro, baby. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I needed the Pomodoro. I truly needed that. <laughs> when someone explained that to me, I was like, oh, I'm not an idiot. I just like... <laughs> <laughs> I just need a break. That's imagine, fun. imagine how I felt walking into my lectures with a fucking egg timer, right? Yeah, or like because I couldn't have my phone on, so I used to put the egg timer like right. down in the bottom of my jacket, and then like the Incredible. little vibration, I would stop and like be on my phone for a little bit. But it's yeah. Any, anyhow, anyhow, sorry, we digress. Anyhow, sorry, this is not an ADHD podcast, <laughs> but also it kind of is. It's about comic books. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I ended up in um, Ultimate ultimate comics that makes sense a lot of people our age roughly you're about my age i think late 20s early 30s i would gauge yeah, early 30s i don't know okay early 30s. i mean you look great <laughs> i look younger people say that i am so i'm never if i don't have the beard i look approximately 12 <laughs> so i'm bad at gauging ages so the facial hair is key or like i would be arrested for like holding a beard <laughs> But, they try to usher you into a school. Well, I'm getting the crow's feet now, so I'm like, now nah, I'm gonna look like a weirdly old. I'm gonna be Ernst from New X Men because no, I'm just. It's gonna be like, not like this. why is this child have lines in his forehead? <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, end, ended up in Ultimate, um, dipped in and out, and I'm hugely character focused. And I mean, one of the things that I really admire listening is the way that people are so meticulous and, and the way that they can bring back runs and names and dates mm -hmm. and that literally is like trying to ha hold on to sand underwater for me well we're talking about academy x so i'm not going to make you do any of that Thank so don't Jesus. worry about it it's just going to be a vibe oh. <laughs> like if you ask me to remember an issue number <laughs> of academy x i'm going to tell you to go fuck yourself so, that is not something i could do uh, so, <laughs> like so i have no knowledge like I would, I would be your first fake death on the podcast. I would, I would lay down and pretend to die. Like I would, unfortunately, it's like wow, guys, my guest just passed away live on the air. It's a revolutionary moment in podcasting, but it's very tragic. The thing that really snagged me, and this is how I ended up with uh, David Elaine uh, Prodigy, is because my dad's name is David Elaine. That's crazy. Yeah, and Elaine is quite a typical Bayesian name. That's what I was going to ask is like, is there a specific heritage to it? Because I wasn't super familiar with it. That makes sense. So it's like a Caribbean name. Yeah. And so I looked and I was like, ah, wait, hold on a minute. My dad. And then my dad is, uh, I, I love my dad to pieces. He's very, very smart, very smart man. He's like a mechanical engineer. And, da -da -da -da. and then I opened this comic book and I'm wait, hold on a minute. My dad's namesake, whose power is his brain, <laughs> is in this thing. And so I had this fucking conspiracy for like, a good five years of my life because I went on Google instantly. You're like, someone must know my dad. Yeah. Someone Googled my dad and I Googled my dad's name and he was like on the, I think he was like on the second page of Google or, something, or the third page. And I was like, come on. But then obviously as I grew up and I lost main character syndrome. Right. <laughs> I realized probably more of a coincidence. Probably wasn't spies, but that is, I mean, it is a distinctive <laughs> name. And also like, even if that is yeah. a common name in Barbados, like, an X-Men character from Barbados is not something you're going to encounter literally anywhere else. I didn't even know he was Barbadian, but apparently he is. And that means he's the only one I can think of. Unveil. Unveil is the oh, only she, you're right. character. The Age of X-Men character. Technicolor naked Afro yeah. Unveil. She must exist like the Prisoner X kids in 616. I'm sure we'll see her eventually. I hope so. If somebody wants to use her, you know. Yeah, but she's the only other one. Yeah. But yeah, then Cycling Back got... Um, 
obviously from then I was kind of hooked. And mm-hmm. yeah, Prodigy for for better or for ill was my guy <laughs> for a long while. I would say he has had a better go of it than most of the Academy X kids. In part because he got picked up by Gillen and McKelvey for Young Avengers, which was such a big book. Yes. And that's where you get the queer storyline, obviously, which also really boosted the character's profile. Yes. And also must have, again, felt like spies, right? Like, I bet that was weird. It, I've, look, like I said, <laughs> yeah, at some point, you just stop trying. Because every year I look back and it was yeah. more and more and more. And I was like, is it me? Wait, it's my dad. Wait, is it, hold right, on a minute. Who's watching on? us? <laughs> yeah. It's very odd sometimes when that, like, there is... It's like a human unconscious thing almost. We're like somehow it's like the games master was out there with his omnipathy, <laughs> like tapped into you somehow, you know, and like passed it to someone else. And like, who knows? Because it does sometimes feel a little creepy when stuff like that happens. But at least you got a cool character. I mean, imagine if like your name was Noriko Ashida. Like if that was your mom. Oh. That'd be rough. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. Rude. <laughs> Rude. Well, we'll get to her. We'll get to her. So rude. <laughs> She's the worst. Just dreadful. <sighs> I've read all this now. Now that I have actually read all of this fucking stuff with these kids, yeah. I'm just, I know that she has fans and that astounds me because uh, she, I don't get it. But, you know, to each their, to each their own, I suppose. Yeah, she was, she was a particular, I think she was meant to, be a particular archetype in that story sure <laughs> you not buying a second of it sure no i mean they try they well listen they try to make her the main character like there's definitely a an interest in her but i just didn't see it i didn't gel with her i didn't gel with her i think she was a mouthpiece for some of the common thinking at the time that hasn't aged particularly well certainly the muslim stuff i mean yeah. Well, what's particularly odd, and I realized this as I was going back over the material for this episode just briefly, I was sort of glancing back through, because mm. I, I read that not too long ago for the Soraya episode. Why is the theme of this book, your roommate is a racist? Like, that's literally the plot. It's Soraya's plot and it's David's Oh, plot. yeah, because the early, the early days of old gold boy. Yeah, this is why I don't fuck with elixir. You can't just like be a purifier. That's not acceptable to me. It, th- th- there was a lot of mess. There's a lot of mess. And I mean... I-, I get it. I get it. I get it. And you know what? People can grow and change. But that's a rough place to get me back from, if that's where you start. Well, I suppose he was meant to be there to really speak and represent uh, the kids who used to be a racist. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's the whole, it's it's a bizarre, this is why it's so weird, is like the two characters we're meant to really identify with are the racist having an affair with his teacher, yep. and the girl who just hates Muslims. <laughs> For some unknown, fresh off the bat, like first steps in the yeah, school. Yeah, just like hates them. Like, you're choosing this? This is your brand? This is, this is where we're going? It's like, listen, I've been homeless for a couple years, but boy, do I have opinions on Muslim garb. Yeah. I mean, I guess. Like, did she not have bigger priorities? I don't know. The fucking gloves. Like, I feel like the microwaves that you're walking around <laughs> with. <laughs> focus, focus on those. Feels like you've got two big problems. Sartorially, you oh. know, maybe streamline them. <laughs> she has to wear those, though, for her power, though, right? It's like Havoc's little head thingy were back in the day yeah yeah she does 
But I mean, I've noticed, I saw her in a recent comic where she was playing backup girl to Soraya, which I love to see. Not that recent, it was in Legacy, but I noticed that she seems to have like begged Forge or Madison Jeffries or whoever to like streamline those things down. They just looked like regular gloves instead of like, here are my gigantic anime gauntlets <laughs> from 2003, which was just an unfortunate look. It just wasn't, it was not the look. And then she loved to run. And I was like, why would you have that combination of powers like why would you have their ch- their chunk right why would you have your speedster character be someone who looks like she's about to tip over because <laughs> you put these huge metal gauntlets on her that she's required to wear all the time like rogue just had little leather gloves it wasn't that arduous to keep them on yeah do you know what's like you rubber know? gloves maybe like maybe gene could have lent you the situation oh yeah because that would for electricity that would have made sense they decided battery hands was the way it was long ago and far away and who cares she sucks yes and i was gonna say that do you know what i love i love the paris kim switch that happened of her and Saraya. Saraya. (laughs) (laughs) i fucking love that shit that's hilarious (laughs) that is the closest kim kardashian and saraya kadir i think will ever come (laughs) to be in a similar scenario but i i can see it for sure and that is why again like i said in that episode Mm -hmm. it would have made so much more sense to do that plot with wallflower yeah who would have been paris in that scenario you know like it's weird it's again it's weird to do it with like it, the Japanese character. It's just a weird, it's a weird storyline. It's just weird. It was a weird storyline. I think, um, you know, sometimes, sometimes writers love to do the minorities can be racist too storyline. Right. <laughs> which is a fact, which is true. Sure, but. Like POC solidarity is not always all it's cracked up to be, so. And certainly not always for Muslims. So <laughs> that's, you know, I, but it was just so, it's not that it's not possible it's just that it's such a weird choice given the cast of the book. yeah and if we could put serge into a corner i think all of well not sorry let me not speak for serge stands. i'm sorry serge stands but if i could pack her gently into a nice soft box and put it away somewhere i would do that <laughs> <laughs> well i think they have i mean what's she done lately yeah just like i don't see her booked you know like is <laughs> booked honey booked and busy <laughs> literally being up there being a dust cloud yeah, like on Mars, where's Serge at? We've never seen her. But speaking of Serge, Serge's love interest in that same period when she was terrorizing Surya was David. <sighs> what did you think of that relationship as a fan reading it back then? Oh, okay. Uh, as a fan reading it back then, I thought it was refreshing to see an interracial relationship that didn't have a white partner in it. No white people. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was fun that we were seeing a relationship that didn't have uh whiteness as an anchor or a center or a relatable end like Mm -hmm. oh this is what this is why people will care about this it was it was nice i mean but then so it gets weird yeah david in in fact (laughs) this is this is one of the things like i was i was i was um if i can ever get this sentence out uh that's that's my signal to slow down when i start to beatbox his entire romantic history has been very strange Oh, yeah. Bizarre, weird. David Elaine in love is him, like, at his worst. <laughs> she was, like, some of the first inkling of that. It sets the tone. Yeah. Oh, look, it's a teacher. Oh, yeah. Because, <laughs> right, he's first, he has, a, he has a crush on Danny Moonstar. A mess. Who was trying to get his, his like, it was a mess. It arrests, like, uh, with a uh, child. <laughs> Listen, the whole thing with Danny was a mess. 
it showed you that he really didn't have a great sense of romance. The whole thing with Serge, the worst woman that we've ever met. Yeah, like, she's horrible. And he's like, love that. (laughs) 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 Oh, I love it. Wait, you're quick. You got big gloves. You're the worst person I've ever met. Mm-hmm. Love that. I love when you're horrible. I love horrible people. <laughs> that is some people's type. And God bless you if you're listening. But, you know, not my journey. Yeah, like seriously, sending love out to you if you fall for the worst people that you've ever seen. And also the fact that he like wasn't, I don't, I don't know, why the fuck wasn't he turned off by the fact that she was treating Soraya the way that she was? That's the... Honestly, this is the other reason that storyline doesn't scan to me, because I can buy this Japanese girl being racist to a Muslim girl, I guess. But then I also don't buy that she would date the black guy. (sighs) Something about the whole internal logic here just doesn't... It feels like a very colorblind cat, apart from Soraya, where they all have to talk about it all the time. It does feel like the writing is very colorblind in that way, where it's like we have a diverse cast and we just throw them all into situations and don't think about what would make sense, you know? Exactly, exactly. When I read it, it felt kind of like, and I suppose this this is what happens when people write experiences that they don't embody or they write from perspectives that they don't necessarily hold. They don't see the, the jump points or the bumps in the road where it's like even if you saw that happen why would you how can i phrase this in a way that makes sense it wouldn't be hot from the fucking outside for somebody who cannot ignore racism and bigotry racism quite so easily <laughs> i'd be like no 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 no. it doesn't no just because that's not my brand of racism still fuck you right still not cute <laughs> still right. not cute and i feel like a lot of that got glossed over where at some point someone probably should have pulled Serge to the side and been like, hey, gloves, fucking calm it down. (laughs) Well, that's what's weird is that nobody really does ever. No, because racism is an unfortunate interpersonal phenomenon that should be resolved quietly between the two people without making any disruption or anybody else uncomfortable. So that's (laughs) what we got. And then that is like also like how we sort of launched into all this. Also the subtext of David's roommate situation with Josh, because allegorically Josh is a white supremacist, right? And I mean, like, not even that allegorically. Like, the purifiers are pretty white supremacists in addition to hating me. Like, I mean, they're called the purifiers. Yes. It's not subtle. And, I'm sure there are a couple purifiers of color. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that is it. That's, that's the worst POC acronym you could possibly have. I, I would like to mark that as cursed phrase number one. Yeah, that's a cursed <laughs> phrase that we just invented. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm just saying it's probably not the norm. Do you know what? I think there's an there's an inter- interesting interrogation there about um, layers of oppression and the way that sometimes being a vent for or uh, actualizing oppression onto other people can... Some people who are dumb <laughs> think that that unionizes you or brings you together with people. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm sure there is a really fucked up storyline there about how people from minority communities or people from marginalized communities would use anti-mutant rhetoric as a way to ingratiate themselves with existing power structures but still it would be fuckery (laughs) that's actually that's one of the things that's really interesting to me about the marauders not the current marauders but the old school marauders Mm -hmm. is how racially and culturally diverse that team is because claremont just like to do that right like claremont be like and this person's from here and their situation is this and like you know he liked like the hellions are randomly super diverse also Mm -hmm. just like the new mutants are 
the marauders who are like serial killers who do the mutant massacre genocide it's like gray crow's native american scrambler is korean harpoon is inuit Arclight's probably Jewish based on her name. Yep. Sontag yeah. is a pretty Jewish name. It's just a very interesting. Well, yeah. One of those things where you're like, what's that person's psychology? And that's one of the things that actually Hellions, I thought, was it didn't explicitly tackle that. Mm-hmm. But saying like, what is this kind of person who, despite the things that have been visited upon his minority group, feels like violence against marginalized people is the way to make his living or what he's meant to yeah he's the only thing he's good for or whatever you know Mm. like that's part of i think the pathos that's made gray crow an interesting character to follow more closely it really has it really has and i think that there's so i I can only speak from my own perspective but if i look at anti-blackness as a mentality as a phenomenon it's global yeah there are people who suffer in millions of different types of oppression that can still unite under the banner of, well, you know, we don't quite like black people. Right. <laughs> so I'm not surprised that that could, that could be the truth for mutants. That could be the truth for anti-mutant rhetoric. And I, I think it's quite realistic. I think it, it is, it is bullshit. <laughs> it is a silly thing to do. But then I also think that it's... But it makes... But people do stupid things. People do do you know? that. And that is one point. I love that you brought that up because that is one element where I do think that the mutant metaphor and anti-Black racism do link up very specifically. When I often think that the connection can be tenuous or that especially like white writers sometimes go a little too one-to-one with it in a way that doesn't quite make sense when the characters are white. Yeah. But the one thing, and this is also why I think it ties very well to anti-Semitism, is the idea that it is just this global phenomenon where this specific group of people has been designated as a scapegoat for whatever. Yep. Diaspora communities like Jews, like Black people, like Romani people, communities that have been forcibly scattered like that are very often the communities that then become that scapegoat because it's very easy if they are other but also in everyone's town. Yes. A little bit. We're in it. (laughs) Yeah, because then it's like, oh, that guy over there. That's much easier than talking about, you know, some guy you've never seen before. Mm. Also, the thing I think is quite apt is the strange specificity of it. Mm -hmm. The way that actually I could see Johnny Storm flying overhead. He's great. He's amazing. The fuck match. Right. No, that's absolutely true. It's a marked status that is separated out. Yeah. That's something I I did want to dig into a little because my only real issue with that comparison when it's sometimes made, I think, glibly is like, A, when it's with mutants who are not visually marked in any way. Yes. Because I think that that is not correct. Like that, I think, is more analogous to an experience of anti-Semitism or something like that. Although there are obviously Jews of color and there are Jews who quote unquote look Jewish and there are Orthodox Jews who are very visibly Jewish. So that's more complicated, but you get what I'm saying is like, that's where I'm like, okay, there are white gay people who they have to tell you. There we go. Are like that, yeah, the, right? the passing aspect of any minority community. So if, Exactly. Yeah. Whereas like Storm is black no matter what room she's in and is a mutant also. And I think that yeah. is a, obviously a different experience. But I do think there are commonalities that are an obvious reason why this franchise has so many black fans mm. and has been a touchstone in this genre tackling racism at all. I mean, God Loves Man Kills, you know, we all may make jokes about some of Kitty's dialogue in that that has not aged super well, 
But, you know, like Evan Narcisse said when he was on the show, that was a life-changing superhero story. Like, the fact that these superheroes cared about racism was crazy, right? Like, having it addressed in a comic was crazy. So... Yeah, it is. And the... I, I read that. I remember reading it. It's messy, but it's interesting. I think it is messy. And to me, they seem like you're watching a baby swim. You're getting there. You're going to get better. But for now, it's it's a bit, it's a bit ugly to watch happen. And you wonder whether you're going to drown. <laughs> like put some water wings on that baby, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know? <laughs> how, did, how did we get here? speaking as a white person that is often like a a white person experience like someone please put some water wings on me i don't know what i'm talking about doing our best dog battling over here i'm gonna i'm gonna use that as a phrase now so if you hear me if you hear me go put some water wings on that baby put some water wings on that baby i'll know exactly what you mean and you know what 99 percent of the time you will be completely correct that that baby needs some water wings stat yeah but i mean even okay so even in um god loves my kills it's the juxtaposition of mutanity and blackness as a way to prove a yes. point out of the mouth yes. of Kitty that made it uh, a strange juxtaposition to me, especially since you're on a team and very close to Storm, who is both mutant and black. And is like your mother figure, and you should have been paying enough attention to understand the difference. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and also, I think that there's a bit of... um, I am always very aware that comics love a moment where the minority gets put back in their place a bit. And that, I think, brings us back to the prodigy of it all a little bit, (laughs) right? Yes. Because for me, where this character becomes most interesting Mm -hmm. is the decimation. Yes. I was thinking about that before this episode because then it got me thinking about Storm. Mm -hmm. And to me, Storm becomes most interesting when she loses her powers in the 80s. And I think, I love that she gets them back. Mm -hmm. And I love that David has his back. Mm. But I think that it is interesting. And I'm, you know, I don't know that I would, there's obviously lots of characters got decimated, but they're the two who stick around when they lose their powers in that way. There is almost a way in which it is specifically the black character who has to like push through that and be strong enough to stay on the team and oh yeah continue to be a superhero and then the reward eventually is you get the powers back. Yeah, I was um I, I think I talked about this briefly with Nadia, who I love I love talking to uh, over on over on the other pod, and we were talking about how so many popular concepts or some the, the popular idea of black people ties us so tightly with trauma mm-hmm. and the idea that then when a lot of white people imagine stories with us we are innately mixed with trauma now i know that this all sits under the umbrella of mutants and they are also a trauma engine sure but you know when you pick up the the losts when you pick up the prodigies oh lost from way back yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and you start to track these very viscerally body the, des- the destruction of your body, the destruction of your powers, the destruction of your identity, mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons why I, I I love Storm Empowered. Oh, I mean, she's more fun with her powers. <laughs> yeah, I just love yeah, that yeah. story. Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean yeah, yeah. that's when she became interesting to me, really interesting to me as a character. We got to understand more like who she is because I loved her from the minute I first saw her. But in the 70s stuff, it is a little more surfacey. I mean, because she's not the star yet. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Part of it, in terms of trauma, I think with Storm, part of it is that Claremont 
puts all of his favorite characters through endless Shit. amounts of trauma. Shit. That's his plot. And Storm is his absolute favorite <laughs> character. So yeah. some shit's going to happen to her. But I also think that with her and with Prodigy, it's also somewhat utilitarian, which is that mm. in both cases, they are by far the most powerful member of the team. Yes. You know, with Storm, that's only in question briefly when Jean is Phoenix, but that doesn't last that long, all told. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, Storm is it, baby. Like, Storm can solve just about any problem. Similarly, Prodigy, I mean, this power to me, for anyone who's not familiar with Prodigy's power, the way that it works is if he's in the room with you, he knows everything you know. So I, I, I was reading this. What I, I'd really love to hear what you think about this. Basically, there's this weird distinction. I went back and started rereading to try to figure out exactly what. Yeah, it has to be something you've learned. It's muscle memory things, deep skills, but he doesn't know what you're thinking. He doesn't know necessarily who you are. Right. But he knows what you know. So you could be uh, an arsehole. You could be the best person he's ever met. He has no idea. But if you know how to play the piano, he can play the piano. Yes. Or like, he doesn't know who your wife is, but he knows the dance that you taught her for your wedding. But it's not always physical. It can also be like, he doesn't know what you're thinking, but he knows that you're a nuclear physicist and therefore now he is also a nuclear physicist. Yes. That is a crazy power, not because it's too powerful, because I don't think it is, but because it's very plot breaking for superhero comics. When he walks into just about any situation, he can figure out a way out of it. And that's a cool power, yeah. but it's a power that unfortunately is going to therefore make the plot contrive itself in such a way as to keep you out of the action because otherwise you can solve the problem, which happens to Storm a lot in <laughs> the 70s. She'll get, all right, the claustrophobia, we have to give her something, just have a weakness, right? Yeah. So then, because Storm could solve this problem in two seconds, uh-oh, the bad guy's in a tunnel. Storm can't come. Exactly. You know, like, there has to be a reason for this character to sit out. Yes. For Prodigy, I think that is limiting, and why it was bold, honestly, for Leah to put him on the detective team, because there are situations where Prodigy walks into a room and a character explains something to him, and readers are like, I've had people say, well, David should have known that. And, you know, and I'm like, well, yes, but unfortunately, sometimes in a comic book, we have to explain to the reader what's going on because that's how the reader figures out the mystery Yes. at the same time that the characters do. And that is why I think Prodigy is a tricky character because he does strain the credulity of that narrative device. Telling him anything is as you know, Bob, because he knows already. <laughs> yeah. He's basically, um, as you, as you said, like Storm. He's the why didn't they just do it character. Then, but I think even even to stretch that, as I went through, you start to realize that sometimes writers, you you can't be watching. Not every story can be focused on where Prodigy is or isn't. Right. There's sometimes where things happen and they'll be fighting someone or something. It's just well, not just sending Prodigy against the wall. <laughs> he's in the room. So just press Prodigy's <laughs> face up against the door. Then. <laughs> He becomes the solution to so many problems. Yeah. And because not every story can be built around his power, sometimes you see these slips of him being in a place where he should have known something. And that's why I think, like Storm, mm. they decided that the interesting place to take the character and continue to use the character would be, let's take the powers away yeah. and see how they react to no longer being the most powerful person in the room. So I think that it is on some level, a little bit of a coincidence 
because it's about the powers, but there's also the undeniable fact that it is the black member of the team. And I think there is, as you say, sometimes that subconscious urge from white people to see that character struggle more profoundly. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I I mean, uh, so obviously I think we have to put this in wider context. He is one of many characters who are also struggling. Uh, But I think one of the experiences that I had as a black reader was that there are so few black characters for me to look at or identify with mm-hmm. that when, when you get your once every generation black character with speech bubbles right you're gonna decimate him yeah and over uh so i was saying one of the reasons that um because i had this conversation earlier with someone who's like oh my god you're gonna do prodigy and i was like yeah and they were like oh you, so you're in love with prodigy and i was like not even really i mean i think prodigy is an amazing character i really love the character of prodigy but i i, I was a fan of character of, of prodigy for that many years because i liked him on balance Right. Because I I didn't have six or seven black characters to choose from every generation. Right. I was just thinking, and the other one of significance in this generation was, and like significance stretching, but was Tag, and they blew him up on the bus. Who was, yeah, but he was, but before that, he was uh, character development for Hellion. Yeah, like he was, that's why I'm saying it was a stretch to say that he was in any way significant, but he was the only other one I could think of, and they just, he, they also decimated him, and then they blew his ass yeah, up. He, so, he was, <laughs> yeah, he was a magical Negro for Hellion. <laughs> Uh, they asked him, what's your deepest desire? He said, well, to make to make Hellion famous. And I went, right, that's it on yeah. you. <laughs> I choose to interpret that as them being in love because that's the only way that that fixes. I mean, it's still value yourself with your actual <laughs> wish. But yeah. then it's like, then it's, then it's less, then it feels less like that and more like, oh, honey, you're so codependent. Like you need to go to therapy about that. But, you know. So that brings us back to Prodigy, doesn't it? it sure does. <laughs> He's sort of the ultimately codependent character, right? Because he needs someone to tap into, to access this stuff, which I do like. I think that's a really good limitation of the power. There's that all that to-do made about how it's a, a mental block that he has subconsciously set himself. Yes. But that is why, like, I thought the decimation, like, as opposed to someone like Jubilee or Danny Moonstar, who just got fucked, or Wind Dancer, who really gets fucked yeah. out of this cast. Yeah, yeah. And she's one of the main characters, and then it's just like, bye, girl, like, we will see you in 20 years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you're a social media manager. <laughs> yeah, I guess it was, uh, I guess it was only, only 16 years-ish. Yeah, so a lot of years. She was gone, gone. Yeah. Unlike them, and Danny does get some of this in the Zeb Wells New Mutants, but that took a while. Unlike them, he sticks around in the narrative. And I actually think that it made him more powerful, which was interesting. Like, so it's like not more powerful potentially, but it made him more of a badass in the moment because what happens is he saves the Stepford Cuckoos during an attack when he has no powers or anything, which is very gallant of him. The Stepford Cuckoos who don't like anybody now like him so when he is all depressed and whatever about uh actually about surge i believe right doesn't surge decide it's too and she kisses yeah she kisses um yeah surge gets really patronizing and decides it's too dangerous for david to stay at the institute so i'm going to push him away by pretending i'm having an affair with hellion right the worst why is she like this So he's upset. So the cuckoos walk up to him and they're like, 
hey, what's, what's going, going on? on? You seem bummed out. out. And he's like, yeah, I don't know. Like, maybe I should leave. Whatever. And they're like, actually, actually we, we have, have an idea. idea. What, what if, if we, we fix your break? Your break? Because, because we can do that. Open your head. You know that you know plug that you put in there? We're just going to yank it right out. Up to you. And he's like, uh, yeah, okay. Do it, because that will make me special to the worst woman I've ever met. Right. Now, Noriko will like me again. Jeez. Oh. Guy. My guy. Not like this. The codependency to these destructive people. They make it clear to him that they can't bring his powers back because his ex-gene's gone from M-Day. But what they can do is unlock all of the knowledge he ever absorbed when he had it. So suddenly... He has no ability to gain new stuff, which was the thing that made it difficult to participate in plots. But he's like a black belt in Krav Maga, has four PhDs, is like a doctor, and knows all of Doctor Strange's mystical knowledge. Yes, and you see that in the beginning of Young Avengers. Yes. When he's got the him at the desk scene that's meant to really go, he's fucking smart. He's fucking smart. Yeah, And honestly, that felt almost like a full circle moment for the character because if you go back, back to his origin story, the thing that's interesting about this character is he's a really studious kid. He He is is intelligent to begin with. He is. And he really values learning. Yep. So then when his power manifests, it's the ability to learn anything, but he doesn't like it because he feels like he's cheating. It's taking versus earning. Right. And that... That was one of the things that I loved about his power in that. So I class him as one of uh, what I call the borrow boys. Yeah. Well, he's like Sync that way, actually. Yeah, him and Sync share a really common archetype of the affable black male character who relates to you in some fundamental mutant way. Yeah. So one takes your powers, and for Sync, that makes him sort of the perfect exposition machine. Right. Because he can do things like Sync with Polaris and tell you exactly what her powers feel like. Sync with gene and give you an insight into what the experience is as a newcomer and jerry's been using that so well perfectly i think what's also interesting with sync in particular is that he can do it better than you yes and that i think with the racial element that you're identifying is very interesting because that like that because that character i think is meant to be sort of like this is a black character but he's non-threatening and like white readers will identify with it like i think that that is a little bit of the intent not in his first appearance in phalanx covenant but once you get to gen x i think that is sort of part of it i think prodigy is not unlike that as well there is a little bit of a like it's sort of the colorblind casting i'm talking about generally across the cast of this iteration of academy x but there is something very interesting about it. It's like, well, Sync is a black character who can relate to you, but then also will exceed you. Yes. You might be a great gymnast, but I'm Simone Biles. Like there is that <laughs> a little bit of that. Like Sync instantly becomes the Serena Williams of any superpower. Yes. Which I think is really cool. But also like that I think is a complication to the idea of like it not being threatening because it is a little threatening in a way that's interesting like chamber can't fly but sink can when he sinks with chamber yeah also has a mouth yeah didn't blow his face up managed to manifest your powers and (laughs) teeth fine yeah and there's a little bit of a white anxiety to that which i think is interesting but it's played as a good thing with sink which i think is cool it is sink has got this really interesting balance where functionally he exceeds you but he's so deft and adept socially that no one seems to mind yes Right. No one's upset about it. Never. Uh, Like, even to the point of Cyclops, who is 
very, very keen on leadership and always have, yeah. has been, defers to him in the, the latest run of X-Men, like, what's your call? And I'm like, I love that. Unbelievable. That's your, your mutation is like, don't fucking hate me. Your secondary mutation is, hey, this is cool, right? <laughs> and everyone's just like, yeah. I love that Jerry shouted that out really early on too when Gene says very explicitly, like, listen, because of that plot Hickman just did in the vault, you're older than me and Scott and you've been fighting a lot longer than us. And so we're in charge, but like, if you have input, I'd like your input. You know? yeah. <laughs> and I thought that that, it's interesting how he has now leapfrogged out in the same way Monet did by just jumping immediately to X-Factor Investigations. Yep. Sink is now out of that student class. Mm -hmm. Like I don't think he will ever be dragged back into, it would be hard to do, well, you could do it actually, but it would be a book about Monet and Sink. Yeah. But like if you got the gang back together and did a Gen X book, it would be a book about them and Jubilee <laughs> and the others would be very sec. You got what I'm saying? Do, like, cause those three really are just bigger in a way that magic is bigger than any of the other new mutants. You know what I mean? hundred uh percent. Sometimes you just jump out of the class and you're like, sorry, Sometimes. I'm a star now. There we go. I'm a star. I've got, I've got <laughs> like strange Sonic. Like I, I look like Knuckles. I've got a baby dragon. Yeah. I'm, right. I'm kind of co-leading the X-Men. Who are you again? Exactly. What did, what did you do again? What did you major in? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing at Xavier's, let's <laughs> yeah. be real. Sink also, I think, has a bright future because he's so made for adaptation. Yes. Like, he's so easy. He's a very simple design in live action. That's just a guy. Just shave somebody's head. Like, that's easy. And that aura is just cool. It's just cool. Just do it. it you know what I mean? So that's a character who I think has a bright future, but purely because... Hickman and Duggan have taken this wild swing at a character who was dead for 20 years. Yeah. I mean, that really is... I, I, that's why I love this era so much. It's, I mean, that Conan is the other one where you're just like, look at that. <laughs> she was dead for a lot of 30 fucking years. Yep. And now she's like an A-list X-Men character. And that's really cool. And we love to see it. We love to see it. Conan and Grey Crow. Ugh. Oh, I mean... Cinema. If you told me I would be... First of all, this invested in any straight people in the comic book. Because <laughs> that's unusual for me. Yeah. But also, like, I tweeted this. I was like, I'd love to imagine just going back in time to me at, like, 12 or 13 and just saying, when you're 33 years old, you will be obsessed with a romance between revanche and scalp hunting. <laughs> because that is crazy. <laughs> like, and I was a big revanche fan because I was such a Psylocke Wait, say, fan. Wait, say, say it one more time. Revolve. Mm -hmm. I like that. Mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah. It's a cute code name. I think that it would be cute if they used it somehow. Like, obviously, she should stay Psylocke, but if it was like some kind of, I don't know, like her password on something. Yeah. I don't know. Or if she got like a bicycle. <laughs> to, like, bring that that had it on oh if like the revanche with like revanche on the side was her motorcycle yeah. that would fucking whip steal that marvel if you're listening free idea <laughs> please do that that would be awesome actually steve if you're listening <laughs> do that in marauders it would be cool oh, uh, <laughs> so the, 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 just the um so the parallel that i was thinking about there was how sync takes your powers and exceeds you but is somehow so likable and affable that you don't mind yeah whereas prodigy the one who gets everything that you know the one that gets all the stuff that you think would help him relate to you has always been marred by these super difficult complicated relationships yeah and it's such an interesting 
contrast when you see I take your powers and that's fine and we get on great. I take everything that you are and somehow always clash with everyone that I'm around. But I think that makes sense and gets to David's anxiety about his power, which is that Sync takes what you're born with. Yeah. David takes what you've earned. Yeah. Yes. Which is, I think, something that's going to bother people more. If they worked for 10 years to get that PhD and David gets it by walking into the room and weaving at them, that's annoying. It would annoy me. It is. And the worst thing is, is that you, any competent black person in a space is always assumed to be affirmative action anyway. Right. Like uh, to be a fraud in that way. So Ugh, that would burn. The anxiety is unimaginable because if he says anything, people are like, who'd you steal yeah. that from? <laughs> Unbelievable. The idea that you're there of unearned merit or work that you didn't put in or where it was an easier ride for you and then you actually turn up and you can take everybody's fucking intelligence. Right. It's like, oh, actually, I do steal thoughts from everybody around me. Shit. Great. You wouldn't cool. be able to get that shit out of me. Like, I'd sell a tape on a blue tail or some shit in the morning and you don't know have to deal. <laughs> <laughs> it's rough. And so that's why I do think the decimation kind of liberated the character in a sense yes. because he was no longer beholden to that nightmare that that would be yeah. it allowed him to accomplish things that were undeniably his own doing you're right you know what i mean i do think it's good that he has the power back and i think that leah used the power very effectively yes, i'm just yes. interested to see where he turns up after x factor because i do think that power makes him a difficult character to use in plots it does because he can't be in certain places he can't do certain things and so when I was reading, I read Red X Factor, obviously. And one of the things that I really wanted to happen was I wanted him to die and come back being able to pull knowledge from dead bodies. Oh, that would have been cool. Because, you know, they were setting up for him to live in the boneyard. He was going to be surrounded by cadavers. And I was like, hold on a minute. If you could pull... Cause, okay, so X-Men... Is it X-Men 2 or X-Men 3 where they do the brain scan on the dead alien mind? Uh, it's 2, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, okay, so he dies, he comes back. And now you can pull knowledge from brains that have passed away. And that makes you the perfect murder detective. Yeah, that would have been so cool. Oh, man. that's that, like, Listen, I mean, there are still cool ways that this power could evolve. I just think it is... The fact that it's from people is tricky. And that it's automatic. Like, honestly, the best way to fix this power, and I don't know how you would do it, and it would be like a depowering in some sense to do it yeah. this way. Unfortunately, because the character already exists, but... I feel like he should have to touch you like Rogue. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that really would make it, like, it, that one tiny tweak would have made it so much less oppressive to plot because then he can't just be, like, in the room and understand what the bad guy's doing or whatever. It's like he would need to sneak up and touch. Like, I, if it was a physical transfer. Yeah. As opposed to just, like, airborne. Right now it walks, it's like COVID. You just, like, you sneeze this. and you knows everything you know. You know what I mean? <laughs> if it was not an airborne contagion almost of knowledge, yeah. like if it was something that he had to suck in the way that Rogue absorbs memories, mm. I think that would have been easier to work with maybe. But I don't know. I, I just think that now there are going to be moments where a reader is going to go, shouldn't he already know that? And you just have to roll with it because there has to be a story. Yeah, yeah so they... they the, the whole time timeout thing of, you know, once he gets away from you, it fades away was an interesting thing as well. And that, I think, is still true, isn't it? Or have we not seen, like, on what, now that his powers are back, he still needs to be in proximity to keep the knowledge, right? Yeah, I think so. Right? Yeah. As, far as, okay. as far as I read it. It would be crazy if he could just 
hold on to it now. It would be too much. That would be too much. Because then he could just, like, go to Sciences Po and, like, walk into every classroom and suddenly have, like, every PhD. Well, and we've seen where that takes him. Yeah. There was a whole alternate universe about how bad that is as an idea. So, yes. you know, we'll get there in favorite storylines because that's one of mine for sure. I, yeah, I think that, that kind of traced him. That traced him to all the super geniuses that worry about morality. Yes. You know, Reed's, Reed is 15 seconds. Like, if you give Reed a bad burrito, it's, it's, it's fucking over. The man is on the fucking edge. <laughs> Beast constantly. Endless war crimes. Can't stop. Even Luna's got a little bit of an attitude. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I feel like being... But she'll, she's a kid, you know? Like, you grow up. Yeah, yeah, hopefully the dinosaur, you know, offsets a little bit, but... Yeah, that's Moon Girl for people who are listening. Who have, that not, to be clear, the daughter of Quicksilver and Crystal, who we talked about extensively in the Exodus episode last week. <laughs> sorry, sorry, if I confused <laughs> no, everything. Okay. No, 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 it's okay. It's just for the, it just so happens that we talked about Luna a bunch last week because Exodus kept trying to kill her because he was ashamed that Magneto's granddaughter didn't have power. <laughs> so that was a plot of the 90s. But anyway, no, that's Lunella Lafayette, Moon Girl. Yeah, no, I think she'll grow up. I, I mean, similarly, I, I love uh, little Maggie Braddock, who is a brat and a genius. That's fun. Like, you know. I, f- I find that really creepy. She is creepy. That's what's fun, though. She's super creepy. Like, <laughs> she's just like, she's a tiny, long-haired Chucky. Yeah, I love that. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she, she's very cute. Yeah, it looks very cute. Very little. I get it, the whole thing, but no. Not for me. Slightly demonic. I get that. But all the babies have to have a shtick, which is cool. We love a baby with a shtick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. We love a baby who can do something. (laughs) Well, I think now actually makes sense as a moment to pause for the Cerebro character file just to take the listeners through David's complete history. And then we'll come back to talk about our favorite Prodigy storylines. And then we will answer questions from listeners like you. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. X-Men, X-Men. Hey everybody, we're doing things a little differently today because I'm excited as Connor Goldsmith, your host, to tell you about the podcast's extraordinary new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is an incredible mobile game, every comic fan's dream. In this mobile squad RPG, you can assemble a team of your favorite superheroes and supervillains, like Dr. Lorna Dane and the iconic Madeline Jennifer Pryor, to save the universe from cosmic threats like Apocalypse and Doctor Doom. Power up your favorite Marvel characters to complete missions, unlock special gear and other resources, and battle other Marvel fans in PvP modes like Alliance War in the real-time arena. Right now, Marvel Strike Force is celebrating their six-year anniversary with a special Deadpool event, and you can sign up using my unique link available right now in the description of every episode. You'll get free stuff in the game just for signing up through this promotion, with weekly bonuses and events all through this anniversary storyline. Log in every day to get special skins, rewards, and the brand new characters being released to celebrate six years of Marvel Strike Force. This is the game's most generous event to date, and I, for one, can't wait to see all the goodies I can unlock. This promo code works for every new user. Please follow the unique link in this episode description to download Marvel Strike Force so they'll know I sent you. Use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Have a blast with this immersive Marvel experience. Thanks to Marvel Entertainment and the team at Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. We now return you to the show. X-Men, X-Men. David Elaine, better known by the codename Prodigy, is one of the rare Academy X students to transcend his cohort and become an enduring part of the X-Men franchise, and in his case, the broader Marvel universe. Created by Nunzio DeFilippis, Christina Weir, and Kieran Grant, David is a member of the second squad of New Mutants, taught by Danny Moonstar with the power to psychically absorb knowledge and learn skills from the people around him. 
After the decimation, he became the most prominent long-term depowered character in the franchise, going on to a memorable turn in Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey's Young Avengers. More recently, he's achieved more prominence in the world of X than ever before, as a regular cast member in Leah Williams and David Baldeon's X Factor, where he employed his restored mutant power in the service of the mutant nation Krakoa. David debuts in the fourth issue of the 2003 New Mutants series, Freaks and Geeks, in which he's introduced as a high school student from Hyde Park, taking college-level courses at the University of Chicago. Insecure about his recently manifested power, which makes him concerned that he's cheating rather than actually learning on his own, David keeps it a secret, until he's outed as a mutant by the anti-mutant student group Purity, the antagonist from the Kitty Pride miniseries Mechanics. Already known to Xi'an Man, a.k.a. Karma, who had been completing a graduate degree at the university, David's introduced to Danny Moonstar, who recruits him to join Xavier's as the new mutant called Prodigy. He's assigned Josh Foley, a.k.a. Elixir, as a roommate, and David is disgusted by Josh's history as part of the anti-mutant group called the Reavers, refusing to teach his white roommate how to cope with suddenly being part of a minority group. And yes, I know I keep saying Josh was part of the purifiers during the rest of this episode. I meant the Reavers. Honestly, who can keep track? Anyway, when David's little sister Kim visits the Institute and meets the ghost of Jeffrey Garrett, a student who died in an attack on the school, she thinks she's developed the mutant power to see ghosts. It turns out Jeffrey's just lived on as a ghost due to his mutation, and David has to break it to Kim that she isn't a mutant after all. The visit from his family also leaves David upset when his father explains that Harvard, David's dream college, doesn't accept diplomas from Xavier's. No colleges do, particularly. His parents want him to come home with them, but David comes to the realization that he cares more about being a mutant and standing with his people than about his old dreams of higher education. Meanwhile, when Josh's past as a Reaver is exposed to the general student body, David defends him, now believing that Josh didn't join the Reavers because he's a racist, but because he just wanted to fit in. Which, okay, I guess... David's also immediately smitten with new teammate Noriko Ashida, codenamed Surge, which is a choice. Revisit episode 57 on Soraya Kadir for more on Surge. As the book relaunches under the title New X-Men Academy X, Danny taps David for leadership of her New Mutants squad, but he doesn't want it as he's not interested in becoming one of the X-Men. He would rather cede control to his teammate Sofia Montega, aka Wind Dancer. Eventually, the two agree on a leadership-sharing arrangement, much like Danny and Sam Guthrie had in the original New Mutants title. In David's most prominent story from this period, it's discovered the mental block preventing him from retaining the knowledge he absorbs permanently is something he's put in place himself subconsciously. He asks Emma Frost to remove it with her telepathy, so Emma and Danny combine their powers to show David a terrifying potential future where he has the block removed and over time becomes a megalomaniacal dictator, committing genocide and murdering his friends. He's finally stopped by his wife, Noriko, who kills them both by overusing her powers. Back in the present, David, distressed, elects to leave the mental block on his powers intact. He begins avoiding Noriko, but she confronts him, stressing that the illusion of the future wasn't real. The two begin formally dating. When the 2005 event called The Decimation depowers all but about 200 mutants worldwide, David is one of the majority of mutants to suddenly become human. Under new writers Craig Kyle and Christopher Yost, most of the decimated students are murdered by the anti-mutant bigots called the Purifiers, who blow up a bus taking the kids away from Xavier's for their own safety. David isn't on that bus, thankfully, and his parents ask that he remains at the school because the Purifiers are targeting decimated mutants in the wider world, and they don't think they can protect him. By the way, remember that ghost kid, Jeffrey Garrett, who befriended David's little sister Kim? He dies for real because he got decimated, so his ghost form fades away. Just a side note, the decimation was really bad. David busies himself developing a new training facility called the Danger Cave to replace the now lost Danger Room after events in Joss Whedon's Astonishing X-Men that you do not need to worry about right now. 
Eventually, the purifiers attack the school directly, and David risks his life to save the Stepford Cuckoos. Committed to helping his friends regardless of his own decimation, David proves himself by helping to battle the Super Sentinel Nimrod, and is invited to be part of the titular New X-Men squad despite his power loss. He's actually invited to lead, co-chairing the team with Noriko. In the Quest for Magic storyline, David and his classmates are dragged into the Hell Dimension Limbo by the demon sorcerer Belasco, who hopes that they can help him locate Ilyana Rasputina, aka Magic. David informs Belasco that Ilyana had died years earlier, and Belasco is so furious that he rips out David's heart. Josh is able to use his healing powers to grow David a new heart, and David coordinates his friends to help them stave off Belasco until Ilyana arrives to destroy him. Back in Westchester, David's heartbroken when he discovers Noriko kissing their teammate Julian Keller, aka Hellion. He decides to leave the school, but is stopped by the Stepford Cuckoos, who want to repay the favor he did in saving them from the purifiers. While they cannot restore his mutant power, the Cuckoos can unlock the mental block Emma and Danny had left intact, restoring all the knowledge David had previously absorbed before losing his power. He agrees. It turns out Noriko had only kissed Julian to try to push David away, because she's afraid for his life after what happened in Limbo. David already figured that out, as he explains while using his new martial arts expertise to beat the shit out of Julian, but still breaks up with Noriko, offended by her condescension. Now boasting a wealth of specialized knowledge, David is made a junior faculty member at the school and continues to lead the new X-Men. During the franchise-wide event Messiah Complex, David declines to join Noriko and many of their classmates on a revenge mission against the Purifiers. Instead, he helps Beast tend to the wounded, eventually joining his friends in battling Predator X. When Charles Xavier is apparently killed at the end of the event, Cyclops disbands the X-Men and the Xavier school, bringing the Academy X title to an end. Like most of the Academy X characters, David falls into the background for a while here. He joins the mutants in San Francisco despite his decimated status, and eventually becomes a vital part of the mutant haven Utopia, working closely with Cyclops and Beast. When the schism erupts between Cyclops and Wolverine in 2011, David emphatically sides with Cyclops, electing to remain on Utopia even as many of his friends return to Westchester with Wolverine to join the new Jean Grey school. David is placed in charge of those of his peers who stay on Utopia. After the events of Avengers vs. X-Men bring Utopia to an end, David returns to regular publication in the 2013 run of Young Avengers by Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey. No longer trusting any of his former mentors, David eschews the Jean Grey school and takes a job at a superhuman crisis call center. He joins forces with the teen superhero Tommy Shepard, aka Speed, formerly one of the Young Avengers, to track down a criminal posing as Tommy's former teammate Eli Bradley, aka Patriot. When Tommy's kidnapped to another dimension, don't worry about it right now, David joins the Young Avengers to help find him. We learn that David is bisexual and is attracted to teammate Hulkling. He attempts to interfere in Hulkling's romantic relationship with their teammate Wiccan, Tommy's twin brother, but is unsuccessful. After a confrontation with the imposter Patriot, David is able to save Tommy by kissing the Patriot entity, who may be his future self from an alternate timeline. Honestly, just read this book. It's fun and very popular and very easy to find. After a few guest spots in other Avengers and Young Avengers adjacent titles, we learn that David and Tommy are now in a casual relationship. This leads into the 2019 soft reboot House of X and Powers of Ten by writer Jonathan Hickman, in which mutant kind founds a new sovereign nation on the living island Krakoa. David becomes a regular cast member in 2020's X-Factor by Leah Williams and David Baldeon, in which he's resurrected by the power of the Five, therefore regaining his mutant power, but has no idea how he died. He's tapped to join Northstar in Polaris's new iteration of X-Factor Investigations, looking into mutant disappearances and anomalies in the resurrection process. After solving the mysterious death of his old classmate Sofia Montega and aiding in her resurrection, David is irked when Sofia tells Tommy that David had also mysteriously died. David believes he was killed in an attack on the Xavier Institute, but photo evidence shows he and Tommy were together that night. 
The photo, when examined more closely, also features a coded message for David from his past self. After briefly guest starring in Tanahasi Coates' Black Panther, where his powers are used in a fun and creative way, David solves the mystery of the Morrigan. Don't worry about it right now. Check out the Teresa Rourke Cassidy episode, and then, in the final issue of X Factor, solves the mystery of his own murder. Decking out of the Hellfire Gala, he returns to the scene of the crime, a gay club where he had set himself up as bait for Buck Thatcher, a serial killer who targets queer black men. In over his head, David had been killed by the Predator, and now in the present can't bring himself to take revenge. Thatcher is taken into custody by police, and David returns to the gala in time to be with Tommy when they discover the death of the Scarlet Witch, Tommy's biological mother. This leads into the trial of Magneto, in which David co-stars alongside the rest of X-Factor as they work to solve the murder of Wanda Maximoff. With trial complete and X-Factor concluded, it's unclear where Prodigy will turn up next in the new Destiny of X-Era. But as a fan-favorite character with a unique mutant power and a higher profile than ever, he's hopefully become a fixture of the franchise going forward. X-Men, X-Men. And we're back. Hope you enjoyed that jaunt through Prodigy's, honestly, not that many stories. He's more of a supporting character, historically. <laughs> He's getting more to do lately, which is neat and hopefully a sign of things to come. But I think he kind of has the forge or sage kind of thing where because his power is... I mean, Beast has this too, honestly, even though he also is like a big guy who can jump around. But when you're known for your brain, you tend to be like at base coordinating, which is like not necessarily the most central part of any storyline, right? Very true. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's an interesting nerve center, though. He's got like a nice sort of... Um... So I liked him. I like him best sometimes when he's an amalgam. You know, when he's in the middle of groups and he knows everything that everybody knows. Yeah. That's where I see he's got like real dynamism i think he comes alive in those times it's like when rogue taps everybody and then like just starts doing crazy shit with everybody's powers at the same time <laughs> like yes. those are always really fun moments she gives you the final runway drag look i made a steal and i'm on fire and i got wings <laughs> is that a tail did you stitch that yourself i'm a telepath whenever rogue absorbs telepathy that must be really hard for rogue Oh. So many thoughts, and already thought is not. That's interesting, because, like, Rogue has... Rogue's shadow aspect is is Prodigy's main aspect. Yeah. The curse of her touching you is that she downloads your personality. Exactly, your memories and things, and that's just what he does all the time. <laughs> yeah. And, and, like, so one of, the, one of the things I really wondered about this character was... Um, so in Young, in Young Justice... Not Young Justice. I'm so sorry. I said young that Avengers. We are not on a DC podcast. Let sir. me get under the table. <laughs> That's fine. I don't. No offense. Take. I mean, frankly, I don't give a shit about the Avengers either. So I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not mad. Justice League Avengers. It's all the same to me. Never felt that emotion. Don't know what that. I don't know feels what like. you're talking about. <laughs> so yeah, in, in Young Avengers, he basically breaks up. Or tries to break up Hulkling and Wiccan. Mm-hmm. Because he has a crush on Hulkling. Which we can't explain. Actually, now that the Pride issue has shown us that, like many, many queer boys, it was Colossus who made him go, hmm. Mm. <laughs> that kind of, you know, like, I feel like that might be, now if we're broadening the type a little bit, because, like, speed makes a lot of sense if you were into surge no disrespect to speed i'm just saying like similar power set Not kind like of a this. punchy personality <laughs> you know i get it right 
But it's definitely a different vibe with like Hulkling, but like Hulkling and Colossus, that is a closer vibe. So maybe he just has multiple types. That's all, you know. That's that's just true. And I suppose his types are women of color, but only white boys. Yes. Well, I mean, Hulkling's green. But he kept the blonde hair. Well, sure. And he looks white most of the time. I'm not suggesting that green people have problems too. I'm just <laughs> saying that. God, I was right. <laughs> No, I'm just saying the kiss scene, notably, though, it is like his scroll face, not his human guy face. Yeah, and, and as pissed as I am to have to attribute any sort of time or effort to Hulkling. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. You're not a fan? He's not for me. Fair enough. He's not for me. He is like space centrist galore, and I find him, I, I, like, he, I itch. I itch. Politically, yeah. Panel. No, I get it. Horrible. The the, the whole uh, shirt. Oh, oh. The Scroll Cree Alliance thing and all of that. The Katari thing. You're there to stamp out any legitimate reaction to your 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 ancestors' actions, and then suddenly mutants shouldn't be annoyed about what your your boothing's mum did when your grandma is in the cell for shit she tried to do, locked up with her face like a cabbage, and then <laughs> like probably. Oh, and then he was like, oh, yeah, no, well, you know, you need to forgive Wanda. Fuck you. Fuck you. What do you mean? Like, no, uh, So all of a sudden now, identity isn't, isn't important. Mutants shouldn't give a shit. You got your job by two separate types of nepotism, but other people should just not give a shit about... I, I, he's very much, I got this job through my daddy, and all of you lot should shut up and stop being mean to us big power holders. <laughs> very much that. And Damn. He's not this is for me. spicy. I'm no. I'm just letting you go because I don't really have any strong opinions about this character. But I completely get where you're coming from, and I know that his fan base is really intense and scary. So I'm just like, like the young me. Avengers people. The young Avengers people. They're like Barb's. Oh, actually, the Gene people are the Barb's. Ooh. If we're keeping it 100. Now I love Jean and I have always loved Jean and I will continue to love Jean and that's all I'd like to say. There's a that. difference between loving Jean and being one of the Jean people. You know what I'm talking about. What I did there is called protecting my neck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just saying that shit's scary and I'm like, I'm just like, I need to, I can't, I can't get into that kind of Twitter. I can't do and, that. Uh, but yeah, but no, but Hulkling, maybe like, we love you. We love the wings. We like the cape. We like it. Like your kisses are very cute, but anything outside of that, I, th I think he's he's kind of like a wife guy. You're at your best in that relationship. Yeah, I'm not sure I say it, but but anyway. I mean, sorry, yeah. anyway, point is yes. So prodigies in him. I mean, you say like it doesn't make sense, and you don't like Hulkling, but like prodigy doesn't date people you like is my sense. You know, like he doesn't seem <laughs> interested in. <laughs> oh, he surely he surely don't because like it's firstly it's super weird like. Do you know how twisted it is? Have we, have we thought about how twisted it is that you and young uh, Avengers kissed his boyfriend while you were running from like this interdimensional parasite? You're like, if I'm going to die, I want to know what it's like uh, to kiss the Shrek dude. Not Shrek. He is. <laughs> okay. He is. And like, <laughs> you, you could morph anyway and you get, and you gave yourself some shoulder pads. Like, please. Miss, follow us into this century. But but yes, and now to be dating his identical twin? Like... That's weird. That is weird. weird. So you, what, your second your secondary mutation is to copy your boyfriend? Like, odd. <laughs> it has a little bit of a, excuse the phrase, but like a single white female kind of... It's like, what are you... 
Like in this case, like single black male, but it's like, why are you like <laughs> trying to become, are you like trying to inhabit this person? Like Billy's skin? Like, what is that? That's a little odd. I hadn't really thought about that, but you're right. That's super weird. Talented Ripley, very odd. If I odd. were Billy, I'd find it weird. Super weird. <laughs> talented Mr. Ripley. <laughs> it's super weird. He is like, talented. He is real smart. With the glasses, like it's, yeah. it's giving creepy. Yeah, that's it's funny. giving. That's uh, funny. It, to coin well, but uh, let's dig into that that would be yeah. like because that's a plot you know what i mean because one thing i would like to see is you know i know that a lot of people are invested in that relationship between him and speed and you know i i try not to wade into that kind of like ship war stuff mm. but personally i would like to see more of these young gay kids date yes gay and bi like queer these young queer kids i would like to see them dating i would like yes. to see them like being slutty and like fucking around like i don't like that and i do i do think that when tony Oliveira first put them together it mm -hmm. was much more like they're friends and they're fucking and it's like kind of a casual thing but now it yeah. seems like it's been sort of codified more into a relationship which is fine i just like i like for example is Mercury dating Bling? Is she dating Loa? Are they just all a mess? And is it just like lesbian drama all day? Love that for me. That's what I want to read, you know? Yes. But you know, you know that, okay, so I think, um, uh, I, I see this a lot with black characters where sometimes when they're, uh, when you're in, <laughs> here we go, just totally lost command of the English language. Why not? Why Happens. not? Happens. I'm talking at this point, Connor. I'm talking so much longer than I usually talk. I know. I'm sorry. You're being so generous with me. Please. I'm just, I'm glad I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> but, but um, yeah, when characters are, are put forward uh, at your inception, you tend to find that you go against, you very visibly go against all of the stereotypes that are applied mm -hmm. to your group. So when I see loads of young gay characters who are so deeply deeply monogamous, monogamous. right like, oh because the gays are slutty right and that's sort of what we were talking about with sync and with prodigy is like these are characters that are supposed to be relatable so they don't have any stereotypically black characteristics this is yeah. also very similar like the gays can't be too gay i mean listen i'm happy for the wiccan and hulkling people but the idea of two gay kids getting married at like 21 or whatever is fully insane to me <sighs> I mean, okay, like for a throne, would I? Maybe. Oh. I'm not a monarchist. I'm speaking very hypothetically. I'm just saying, am I becoming the empress consort or whatever? Like, sure. <laughs> in that case, like, get in your bag, Billy. Um, that's fine. But yeah. I can't understand a, a gay 21-year-old. Well, the idea that that's supposed to be a relatable character at all is odd to me. Uh, or even aspirational. I'm 33. I don't even have a boyfriend right now, much less a husband. My God. We, <laughs> we also have to like adjust for inflation. And like for us, like maybe <laughs> the throne is like <laughs> Nissan Micra. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I'm like, do you have a condo? <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, it's, it's, um, he's, Prodigy's just a bit, he's been a bit all over the place. Uh, his love life has always been all over the place, and I think he's been um, he's been characterized by that chaoticness with his interpersonal relationships. But weirdly, to to finally circle around, because we, I love the digressions. 
I do love well, it. Well, that's how it's, this show works, though. We always get back <laughs> on track eventually. It's fun to like talk for 10 minutes and be like, oh, yeah, fuck, that's what I was going to say. That's what we were talking about, right. Yeah. So he tried to break them up under the premise that Hulkling would never know whether Wickham had created him or bent reality right. in order to make him fall in love with him or even at a deeper level had created him. Created him in the first place. Yeah, Exactly. He was like, how can you trust being in love with a reality warper because you don't know what's real. You don't know if you're real. You don't know what he's influenced. Now, really, it was sad because he was actually meant to be... He, he, he ended up being the, the antagonist and then the magical Negro for their relationship. But it was so weird to me when I read that that he'd never asked that question of himself. How can you in good faith sit there and be like, how do you know whether your relationship with Wiccan is real? And I was like, how do you know that, that your personality is, real for you. is Right, real? yeah. How do you know? That's the big thing with Rogue. Like Rogue has been tormented by the idea that she's had a thousand footprints in her psyche. Right, like how much of me is Carol? How much of me is this person or that person? Yeah, and when he does the little bit, um, when he's like, oh, well, you know, the more the more people, the more perspective and the more knowledge that I got in my brain, the more all of this just started to click. It felt like doors were opening. And it was like, well, yeah, because you've cos- you cosplayed as a gay person for ages. <laughs> and then you cosplayed as a neuroscientist. And it was like, how can... He's never asked himself those personal questions and i think that weirdly that transfers him in my mind to like a sort of a, a, an almost hellions adjacent area because if prodigy was to have a breakdown and be like how much of this shit is me yeah how much of this shit like psychologically that would be just devastating it, exactly and like because in the beginning he almost can't face it because facing it would be impossible you know like to maintain a sense of self while accepting yeah. that would be very difficult a complete deconstruction of self but you see so many more de- declarative statements in his earlier inception. So when he turns up at the school, you get little shouts like, I don't like that. Or I'm going to leave this school. Or I am. And then weirdly, you always see him doing almost the exact opposite of things that he said he wasn't going to do later. So he'll say things like, oh, uh, a great example is when he goes, he gets tapped in for a four by four basketball game. And obviously, because he has to be the opposite of black stereotypes, he has to go, I don't like basketball. And then, obviously, uh, he ends up being better at basketball than everybody else because he, you know, absorbs the combined knowledge while he's playing the game. He makes similar statements like not wanting to be used and he's leaving the school because he never wants to be on the X Men. And then, what did he end up doing? Leaving the X Men. He's <laughs> like, oh, I'm going to leave this school. What do you do? End up doing? You fuck off to Utopia. It's just like he's a he's a mess of contradictions. I'm always wanting waiting for him to ask that question. Like, do I like you because I like you, or do I like you because I like what you know? Because I like your set of skills. Right. Do I like being around you because of what it does for me? Do I romanticize knowing how to play piano or something? I mean, that's something we all ask in relationships a little bit, right? Like, and he is a way to really analyze that. What is it that he likes about being in proximity to Tommy? Probably not a lot of knowledge. Not Again, Ooh. I don't know these characters that well, but he doesn't seem like a, a book learning kind of guy. He seems like a more instinctive character. Is my I've read the Gillen McKelvey stuff, but he's yeah. not as much in that as he is in the older material he's also a massive asshole to, to prodigy almost entirely I, the whole the whole of the young avengers run i was like why the fuck are you chasing this kid like he turns up and he's like well but again oh. like surge like you know he can't help it <sighs> he's drawn to these rude people that is like a thing that he wants he's like hey 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 you hey you you're the fucking worst take it off 
Take it off. <laughs> take it all off. Take it, take it off. Take it off. <laughs> what is this voice? <laughs> I don't know what voice you're doing, but I'm into it. We'll just keep going. You know, it's interesting because that question of like, who do you become when you open your mind to everyone is what yeah. factors into one of my favorite prodigy stories, which is that Academy mm-hmm. X story. Honestly, bizarre pedagogically. Like, the way that Emma, I mean, Emma, I think, is characterized poorly all throughout Academy X, particularly in the Kyle and Yost period, less so in this earlier stuff. But this is a weird moment from Danny, who I think is characterized weirdly in general in this earlier uh, We're in DeFilippa stuff. They form a mutant circuit, basically, Emma and Danny. Yes. Using Danny's mirage powers and Emma's telepathy to create a vision of a possible future. Unclear exactly how it works. They're not time traveling or whatever. So it's probably more of a simulation. Yeah. Like a matrix kind of thing. I read it as uh, an extrapolation of his greatest fears. Like the reason, Mm -hmm. the fears that keep the block in his head. Right. Because Danny accessed the fears and then... He wants Emma to remove the mental block that lets him only access knowledge when he's in proximity to people rather than keeping it forever. Yes. What they show him is a future where he becomes the dictator of the world, commits massive genocide, I believe exterminates like the entire population of China. China. is just gone because he's like, oh, not getting with the program, got to die. Kills Danny at one point because... Yes. She opposes him, and then it's revealed that he... I mean, this we've, we've seen that he has a crush on Danny up to this point, but here's where it's like, I always loved you, Danny Moonstar. And like now, you know, so it's awkward when they get back to the present and she's his teacher. That's funny. And she's like, you understand that can't ever... He's like, yeah, I got it. You know, like, that's... Sorry, that's... Uh, you know, like, <laughs> But he's also married to Surge in this reality, which is hilarious to me. I'm just like, of course, like part of your supervillain worst fear reality would be, this is my wife, Surge. Yeah. He does become president. He accomplishes lots of stuff. He cures cancer and AIDS. He does. But then he he basically hanks. He hanks it like Hank McCoy. Like he just fully, at a certain point, you reach like a threshold of intellect and self-superiority at which you cannot help but commit constant war crimes. And so he just starts doing endless war crimes. The higher up you get is the more perspective you have to solve the problems, but the smaller everybody starts to look. Exactly. Like the less significant everybody looks in comparison (laughs) to yourself. Because if you are a hive mind of 8 billion people's experiences, like learned experiences, then what does anyone have to teach you? Nothing. They can't teach you anything, actually. Mm. Also, you get this really interesting perspective, much, uh, I'm not sure, maybe like a telepath, but the idea that you would contain a thousand people's knowledges or, or the summation of a thousand lifetimes would really change your perspective on what one life was worth or what you could mm-hmm. do. Because then you could package, you, I've got a thousand of those. Right. And then if you're not, if you're not like the best or some, some example of excellence, you know, you're 35 and you haven't done anything amazing. Like, you're not a big loss. Well, that's how you become Celine, honestly. Like, I could see, as part of this evil reality, a 
David, who walks into a room, absorbs everything you've ever learned, goes, thanks, and then pops you in the head with a gun, and you're just done, because you, you're you now no longer useful. Yes. Like, I have absorbed what is useful about you, and now you live on in me, essentially, and your existence was not super important. And that's how Celine feels about everyone, because she's had to do that for 17,000 years, and she keeps your memories and experiences when she eats you. So she's like, well, you know what? It's fine. Wow. She just doesn't think about how these are living beings because to her, they're pretty much like the ants that I just, you know, put ant poison in my sink over, which like yeah. I felt bad about it. And I felt bad about it. Celine did not feel bad about, you know, <laughs> squashing those ants. That's a really amazing point. Like, I love those little synchronicities you get when you take the frayed edges of two characters and you think about the ways they might relate. What's well, fun with this show is like because a character will be still in my mind because I did them pretty recently, and then I'll be like, yeah. you know, that's like such and such. Yeah, but she's also they're also like a mutant mutant dominion. Yes, in that way they've kind of got that in common with the machines. That yes, yes, they're like absorption, a hive. Yeah, they're like a phalanx unto themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool mm. stuff. So yeah, I liked that story. I think it was cool because I like when we get to see like a character's worst possible self. And I particularly like when a character gets to see that themselves about yes. themselves. Yes. But I'm not sure how introspective it made him. You know what I it, mean? Uh, it, it didn't. It made him fearful. It, well, not even fearful, but I think it made him more assured of himself. He decided, in the okay, we're going to leave the block in place. So that's never going to happen. Yeah. It was less that's inside me and more, oh, well, then I shouldn't do that. It was more like every brain could be poison to me. That's not innately in right. me, but the more the more minds I take yep. is the more poisoned I'll become. So actually, it's great that I can vent or lose some of this poison from my body, you know, by proximity or fading or whatever. Yeah. There were some quite funny bits in that. Because also, it's a, it's a weird thing to, to like, go, what a fucking school day. Like you turn up. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's so weird that it's like, all right, let's do this exercise. And then they watch it. <laughs> <laughs> they watch the whole thing. That's because, like, Danny knows about his confession of love by the end of it. Oh, like, imagine that. Like, how do you just... Like, Emma would do that, but it feels odd to me that Danny would. It's weird. Like, he's got, he's got fucking maths books in his bag, for fuck's sake. How do you, how do you leave the room after everybody's seen that? You're just like, oh, scoop up your calculator and just, well, <laughs> I'll, I'll, be, I'll be off then. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll see you at lunch. All right. Yeah, great. There was very little fallout from that. Uh, yeah. That whole thing. But then again, I mean, if you're a mutant, I'd imagine people going megalomaniacal. It's pretty common, actually, isn't it? Yeah. Quite a few people. like. That. What other stories from that period do you particularly like? Uh, I like Haunted. I must have like, So Haunted was uh, the story kind of early on in, the, uh, in New X-Men mm -hmm. uh, that was... Not the real new X-Men, the, the Academy X-Men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, yeah, to yeah. clarify. Sorry, the Academy X. <laughs> <laughs> Not to be a bitch, but... You know. <laughs> no, please. Essentially, it's about a little teleporter kid who is trapped in a building and uh, is unfortunately crushed in one of the thousand times that the Charles Xavier Institute comes toppling down on itself. Young Jeffrey Garrett. Yeah, you would think that they'd stop building that fucking school there. You would, wouldn't you? It, I mean, it, at least in the present, they've finally just, like, let it become a little alien hive. Yeah, it's a lovely greenhouse. We love it. Store your shoes there. But, yeah, I'm glad we're out. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this, sorry, just to put context, I don't like this story because uh, a poor child passed away. <laughs> this is just the prelude of the story. <laughs> but um, 
uh, he gets trapped and the star of this is and I don't maybe this is a bit shady to love the story because of someone who's not David but it's fucking Kim his sister David's little sister Kim David has a little sister Kim who is truth teller general <laughs> she is seven years old and she's ready to tell you everything she knows about you today and I love a woman who speaks her mind honestly chef's kiss couldn't love anything more like she jumps out in her little like sketches wheelies or whatever and she was like oh i read your diary you said a lot of fucked up things about your teacher in there <laughs> and david you know slinks in between uh, the line of the floorboards and she was like oh yeah my brother fucking hates you oh look you're green oh you're blue you have a tail and then instantly drags surge which i loved she was like oh your Love hair's it. blue and she was like it comes out of a bottle and Kim was like, mm, okay, and just swiftly moves on to the next interesting person in the life. She's amazing. Uh, and I love that story because, um, partially because it was, it, it was a really interesting exploration of like wanting to be special. And her brother, so Prodigy obviously has brought his, his, his little sister to the school to meet all his friends and go to classes and that. And she turns up not only with this energy to tell all the truth, but to relate to him and to want to be closer to him and you can see that she idolizes him so much and you get this really interesting snapshot of how he almost resents the thing that makes him special and different and she so badly wants it she turns up like you know like most little sisters uh little siblings do like full of energy to be like you and be in the space that right you of are. course reads everyone to filth in the process <laughs> In the way that only like a nine-year-old can. Uh, and starts seeing this kid that got trapped. And she thinks because she can see him, that means that she has the mutant power to see ghosts. Right. Which she can't. But he's actually just like a mutant ghost. The less we do on him, the better. <laughs> he's, uh, by the way, for eagle-eared listeners of the Sage episode, Jeffrey Garrett is the kid who gets tied up in the whole Elias Bogan plot. But you don't have to worry about that. That's before he dies and becomes this ghost. So truly don't worry about any of it. But two storylines this period for this one-off child that you, I guess, two-off child, I guess. <laughs> who otherwise, you never need to think about again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's just great. So I think that was, Haunted was my my favorite story because he has to sort of break it to her that she's not actually a mutant as far as they can tell i mean she's young so but like it's not a mutant power that she's manifested this is just a haunting no she's just she's just a creepy kid basically <laughs> like she turned up and the ghosts were like yeah yeah you you feel like the one we're gonna talk to her <laughs> and then she just leads them on this massive goose chase but it's it, it's nice. It's it's one of the only times that you see Prodigy have like a really balanced, smooth relationship. Mm -hmm. The big brotherly thing comes out of him, even though she sees how many people does she see die? Um, a bunch. Uh, what's his name? Icarus. I Icarus, yeah. who is the other queen who shades everybody every fucking panel. He's fun, but then man, what a an ignominious end for that character as soon as the writing team changes. Like, yeah. Wow. Yeah, but here he, he just flies into a wall and snaps his neck. Yeah. And no one seems to worry that she's in the room when that happens. It was, I, I kind of liked it because it was this very sort of strange but also lighthearted but also uh, touching story of a, of death and children yeah. and death and the relationship. It kind of reminds me of Lock and Key almost. Little kids, deep themes. Yeah. 
the other one I really like in Academy X. Well, first of all, I like when he builds the danger cave. Yes. Which is cute. Like after he gets decimated, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the danger room's not working and he's still planning to leave at that point. But before he goes, he constructs the danger cave for his friends, which is like basically a replica danger room. But what's interesting about that is it's like he does that without any of his power. Like that underlines to you that he is actually very intelligent and very learned, right? Because that's before the cuckoos give him the knowledge back. I actually, I really like in the issue that's like everybody is freaking out about M-Day, which I think overall can at times be a little narmy as TV tropes put it back (laughs) in the day. You know, where it's like, okay, this is supposed to be sad, but it's coming across a little bit funny, you know? (laughs) But he has one that's really, really great where Mm -hmm. he's getting out of bed and I think somebody says, like, what's happening? And he says, like, I don't know. And then he pauses and says, I don't know anything, which is a really great line. Yeah. And I think that is is an introspective moment because he does know things, right? He just doesn't, like, he doesn't, think of himself always as being the one who knows the things. So when yeah. he's depowered and builds the danger cave, which is like a holographic suite of like Shi'ar technology or whatever, like he clearly is still a very intelligent guy. So I think that's a nice moment. Shortly after that, his parents are like, no, actually you should stay because it's too dangerous because Reverend Stryker is like hunting down and murdering all these depowered mutants. And yes, we don't want you coming home because we can't protect you. So he hangs out there and that's, where he sort of continues to be useful to the group. And I like that even yeah. though Emma was really hardline about like, she's, she even sends Danny away. Cause she's like, it's not safe for people without powers mm-hmm. to be here. Cause we're going to be a target because he's just too useful and too determined to make himself useful. They can't get rid of him. And he becomes one of the leaders of the X-Men team without his powers, much like storm became the official leader of the X-Men without her powers, which is a cool it's just always a cool beat for a character to, to accomplish that when the character has been so famed for their power. Yes. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what do you prefer? What state do you prefer him in? Like loads of static knowledge or some fluid knowledge? I thought that loads of static knowledge was more interesting. I thought that it gave him room to grow organically as a character from there like because mm-hmm. that from that moment on anything new he learned he would have known it was just him it was his own work like it felt like a natural evolution for the character in terms of like his arc yeah but i do think i'm in favor of all the decimated characters getting their powers back so like i'm glad he got his powers back you know what I mean? like the circumstances yeah. of it are so distressing to me that i'm like <laughs> no yeah, you know, yeah. just like just like I, I think that Storm becomes really fascinating and deep as a character in mm-hmm. that like life death and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm glad she gets her powers back and follow the mutants like you don't want to do that to them forever. It's not, you know, you want to you want to bring it back around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that we're at kind of a nice balance now where it seems like he's kept the stuff that he got from the cuckoos back then, but he's also learning new things. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah, watch out. Cause soon we might be in that bad timeline. That would be super interesting. Yeah. I mean, another depowered moment, like before he gets the knowledge from the cuckoos that I liked was I actually like the role he plays in quest for magic where he just really like mouths off to Belasco and Belasco like rips his heart out and kills him. Mm-hmm. 
Elixir manages to like grow him a new heart, which is crazy, but sure. Convenient. I mean, I guess like, you know, that's how heart transplant works. Like you put a new one in. You don't usually make one yeah. on site, but uh, if you're Elixir, you can do that. So that's fine. I just liked that because he doesn't seem particularly afraid, which is yeah, a nice yeah, characterizing yeah. beat. And that, and on the way back, that's when Serge decides it's not safe anymore for you here, and kisses Hellion in front of him, and he runs away. And that keeps that keeps happening to him. Like, remember the bit where um, ah, oh, what's what's her name? Wallflower. Wallflower. Yeah. Huh. Well, that's there's a weird bit where Wallflower forces him to kiss to her. Kiss, yeah. To make Elixir unhappy. Jealous. Who then punches him in the face. Yeah, that I found very... And that's a moment where, again, like, the colorblind casting of it... Because, like, that feels like... There's almost, like, a cuckolding trope vibe to that scene. Yeah. Of a, like, I'm gonna make my boyfriend jealous with, like, the black guy. Like, there's there's something about using his body that way without asking him to upset another white person in white men yeah like exactly like it there's something very off-putting to me about that scene yes and i think that it's charged in that way and i don't think that's intended in the writing but it's very much there yeah and and sometimes you really have to um when you employ characters you really have to think about the pressures the sociological pressures that apply to those characters to the groups that they're in to see whether those dynamics really play out in a positive way. Especially because in that early Academy X stuff, he is, and this is just a, an interesting art thing. Initially, he's presented as like a pretty big buff guy versus Elixir, who's presented as like very small and slender. And those characters actually kind of flipped over time. Like I would mm. say Elixir now is not like, you know, stacked or anything, but like he's like a toned kind of muscular runners build kind of guy and prodigy now is like sort of the slender you know nerd guy he got quid yeah he did but back in this moment with wallflower it's very much like he's also sort of bigger physically than elixir like there's just a lot of coded stuff going on there that i find and like the fact that she the fact that she mind controls him to do it is like very off very off it's not great and and then um but he plays that part quite consistently. Yeah. He ends up being the interloper or the the third. The third, yeah. And I mean it's a role that a lot of black characters get put in a lot of the time. Is like the bit of interest who's complicating the romance. You yeah. Know? I've kissed you to show that you know, to bring a bit of tension or oh look, right. this character's not racist. They've kicked they've kissed the black guy, but you're not you're not serious because <laughs> right. you're not you're not in game. Right. Yeah. But, but then even I don't know if I don't know if I'd want him to be in game. I picture I picture Prodigy and shout out to everyone in the X of Words group who has seeded this into my head. But like Prodigy and Gentle. Oh, that would be if you think Colossus and Hulkling are good looking, Gentle is absolutely that physical type. And also he's a nice boy. It's like lovely, meek. Polite. Polite. Friends with Storm. He's got a little bit of silver. Friends with Storm. Key. If you like chunky and you like, you know, a little bit metallic. Yeah. He's a guy. I feel like it works. Oh no, I that would be cute. It is cute. That's almost as cute. So uh, also the other thing that I've been totally swayed on is sink fire. Sink and sunfire. See, is now I my just, new... I, I can't, 
I get that, and I love that for you. I can't get behind. <laughs> I just can't get behind making Sink a gay character or a queer character at all because I think with the Rainbow Aura, it's too much. Like I think that the Rainbow Aura guy has to be straight because I, it's just I, I can't. Like we've already got Julie Power flying around with a rainbow coming out of her ass. I don't know if we can do. And Carolina Dean is also Carolina a rainbow. Yep. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if the rainbow guy. Uh, it just feels a little on the. I think Sunfire absolutely should be gay, though. I actually think that uh, Sunfire and Iceman would be funny because Iceman and Northstar is now never going to happen. Yep. But you could have. It would. It would do two things. It would be like the fire and ice, like Iceman and Pyro thing. That's cute. Yeah. But it would also be like. Like the thing about Pyro is that he's nice and like I sound like a bitch. <laughs> yeah. Like North Star, Christian Frost, like Sunfire is a bitch. <laughs> you know? Sorry, I love that. I just love that as a sentence. Sunfire is a bitch. <laughs> I think that would be cute. For more on that, tune in in 2022 for the Sunfire episode where I think my guest feels very strongly about that pairing, which I think would be really fucking funny. So. <laughs> yeah. But uh, with Prodigy, I'm stuck on Prodigy and Gentle now. I really do. I really do think that would be cute. And like Gentle has like the um, like the traumatic Wakandan family that didn't support him backstory also. So like you could just that's very easy to layer some gay metaphor onto. Yeah. And who who better to know who who better to know your pains and your loves than someone who knows you almost instantly? Yeah, but not your thoughts, which Gentle wouldn't like. No, but knows you. Remember when Gene just jumped in Gentle's head and fixed oh. his power without asking him? <laughs> that was crazy. She's yes, crazy. I do. I, I, yeah, she is. <laughs> she is. And he he joins he he joins the queue just in front of Polaris <laughs> of the long list of people who Jean's ha, who, who who Jean is. Um, she loves that. She just loves and um, she likes to put her hand in your chips. Ask forgiveness, not permission. And she doesn't really even ask forgiveness. She just likes to do it. She just does nope. it. But that's fine. I mean, hey. So then the big story for him is Young Avengers, which we've talked about. I do think it's yeah, interesting. Yeah. That story's after Avengers versus X-Men, and we mm -hmm. see that he's become very disillusioned with all of the mentors that he previously had, which is why he ends up on an Avengers team. Yeah. Which makes sense after ABX to some extent. But it's interesting because during the schism, he's one of the kids who argues very strenuously that Cyclops is right. Honestly, it's him and Soraya who are both like actually they're the practical ones who understand the stakes of this stuff yes and who maybe experienced a hell of a lot of this beforehand right and who also like maybe didn't have the best time at that school you know <laughs> like, <laughs> very much there we go that's it like do we all need to go back to westchester i'm not so sure i want to do that and, and i think that's that's one of the things i love about this new era in that there's been way more of an integration of actual existing minority perspectives in the way that people understand their mutanity mm -hmm. and their mutantdom. Because for a long time, I think one of the things that stopped me from really becoming an avid consumer of X-Books consistently was that it felt like once people were mutant, all of their other identities were subsumed into that. Cancelled out. Like Jubilee, she had to be in the identity issue before you really started to see her. 
Right, because Jubilee being Chinese-American is not something that was a major element of the character in the 90s, certainly. It was not something that everybody's talking... I mean, apart from the fact that she's a Chinese girl with firework powers, which is a very Chris Claremont moment. Mm. God bless him. God bless him. Listen, it's the X-Men way. Other than that, it doesn't feel like it's something that factors into the story a lot or into the writing a lot. And it doesn't necessarily have to, but it's nice to see moments like that. I agree in this era where the fact of someone's intersecting identities becomes relevant to the story. Becomes relevant to their motivations, to the way that they Mm -hmm. perceive and synthesize events. Because I know for damn sure that you couldn't have sold me on Charles Xavier's Kumbaya, let's be a better flatter carpet speech. <laughs> right. Like, you couldn't have sold that to me. Because uh, he would have been like, you know, all we have to do is, is hold people's hands and save them from falling bridges while they throw bricks in the back of our heads. And I would have been like, sir, as a black, please expound <laughs> on that point for me. <laughs> okay? I would like you to elucidate that a little bit further. Thank you. Mm, gonna be, I, I mean, Calling hey, time. There we go. Loving that shirt, you're very shiny, very smart, loving the suit, but I'm going to need you to cite some sources. Head freshly waxed, but I need to know more. Come on. Background, Chili. And I would say, like, the thing is, uh, the, the Young Avengers story, he is fun in it. Like, that. that's where I honestly, because I hadn't read most of Academy X when it was coming out. And then I did read the Gillen McKelvey Young Avengers mostly consistent, like as it was coming out. Mm-hmm. I don't think I read it straight through, but I would pick it up here and there. Uh, again, I'm just not an Avengers person. But I was like, oh, they're gay. And like, I like Kieran Gillen's writing. So everyone's gay. I, well, yeah. And that was cool because you don't get to see that very much. So you that was don't. fun. And like, that's reality is like, I mean, Vita Ayala was just talking about this on Twitter today. Uh, Vita and Anthony Oliveira and I were talking about this. Yeah. I barely know any straight people. At least, like, not that I... (laughs) Who I'm not related to or do business with or have as guests on this podcast. Like, very, very few, honestly. (laughs) There's, like, three people who don't fit into one of those boxes. Lovely three people, but in a narrative about my life, you'd have to explain why they were there. Because most (laughs) of my friends are queer people, because that's just how it works. So what purpose to the story is it that they're straight, though? Right. That's exactly right. Because it's like, yeah, someone explain why this heterosexual needs to be in the story. Because (laughs) it's not tracking for me. And that's the X-Men half the time, as far as I'm concerned. Like, Dazzler shows up and it's like, there's a straight person here. Because every other character (laughs) is is pretty fucking gay. Is she? I think she is. My read on Dazzler is that she would love to be bi and has tried to be bi, but is not. And it's a tragedy. I think that if you are the focal point of 50% of the gay people on the planet's attention and adoration, when you're there, it still kind of tracks. That's what I'm saying is there's an explanation in the narrative. It's like, there's a straight person here. Why? And it's like, she's dazzling. It's like, that's fine. Right? Like, that's that's completely acceptable as an explanation for why why this person's here. She's like Kylie Minogue. If Kylie Minogue's at Pride, you're not confused. You're like, why is Kylie Minogue here? Because it's Pride. Of course Kylie Minogue is here. Dazzler is exactly like that. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what I'm saying. It's like, you need an explanation for me to quite get it. But honestly, after that, he's just kind of in the background in Avengers adjacent stuff for a long time. Like, there's like that cute bit in Ant-Man where he's like trying to be... It's like Nick Spencer did an Ant-Man book where 
uh, I just glanced through this because I was like, what did Prodigy do between these books? Where he tries to become chief of security at Stark Industries, which is like very... At that point, I'm like, you've gone too far into the Avengers yeah. fold. But uh, he doesn't get the job. Ant-Man gets the job, which is, you know, because it's Ant-Man's book. I mean, literally twice as good. <laughs> uh, I know, to get half as far. Ant-Man. Yeah. Ant-Man. Oh. And it's Scott Lang. It's like not even Hank Pym. See? No disrespect to Scott Lang. I'm just saying, you get what I'm saying. I mean, a little bit. I mean, Scott Lang, Scott Lang, I mean, Hank Pym's got his problems, famously Ooh. problematic. I'm just saying like, he's at least like a noted super genius, right? Yeah. I don't know if Scott Lang is, because I don't know very much about No, Scott he's Lang. he's a noted famed idiot. Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought he was just like a, a dumbass, right? Yeah, yeah, he is. He is. He is. Love that for him. And you know what? Like Mood. Mazeltov on the job. I'm not <laughs> mad about it. I'm just saying. Not me. I said mood about him being an idiot and you like Mazeltov on the job. <laughs> we went in two very different directions. Well, maybe. you know, I respect that it's your mood also. <laughs> I mean, ignorance is bliss and sometimes I would like to be a little happier is sort of how I feel. 1000%. Then also there's that bit. Remember when the Watcher died? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> there's just so much shit. It's really like, talk about the lost decade. Like, I don't remember any of this shit. Because the X-Men, I was checked out. Yeah. I don't remember anything else that was going on. And then I go back to it. And I'm like, oh, shit, wait, this was happening. So, yeah, remember when the Watcher died, I guess... There was that bit where, like, his eye was going to explode or something. And they're like, hey, mm-hmm. you teams up with the hood. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry about the hood. The character I've never quite understood. And I love Marvel magic stuff, but that character confuses me. With the, the gun? He's the guy. He has a hood on. That's it. And then I think, isn't he in, uh, he's in the America Chavez, the first America Chavez solo. He goes to her oh, college. That sounds like a thing that could happen. He pops up in some strange places. He pops up around. And then he really does come back in a big way on Krakoa. So how do you feel about... Well, I'm not just going to like drop... I'm not just going to drop it on you. Like, I mean, everybody's aware that X Factor 10 was a very controversial issue. Yeah. Leah Williams has expressed that she is not thrilled with the final product. It was rushed because the book was canceled. Yeah. It's a story that was not told in the way that I think anybody wanted it to be told, basically. I know that you have feelings about that issue, and we'll get to that. Yeah. But before that, there are nine other issues in which other things happen. So how did you feel about the book overall for Prodigy? I thought it was good. And I think that the depth of the character and the things that you got to do, I personally really like the the little flirtation, the weird little... Not not even flirtation, but the chemistry between him and Akihiro. I liked that too. I kind of wanted them to. I kind of wanted them to do it. If I, I'm being I, honest, because <laughs> like I mean, Prodigy's an adult. Like all the young Avengers kids are in their twenties at this point, yeah. right? Like so. Yeah. They, I mean, we've we've seen him at the bar. So yes, he's an adult. I would have found that like before Dakin and Aurora hook up. Yeah. Let them have a moment that kind of might have yeah because Dakin is Dakin is like he's like basic Solom yeah well I mean I do feel like the whole gist of Solom on some level as a character is that he's a Dakin that Wolverine can fuck Ooh. oh god but you get what I'm saying like first thought number two 
But you get what I'm saying. Not that, not because of that. I'm just saying he's a very similar character, but it wouldn't be a problem to have sexual tension with Wolverine. Oh, of course, because when they're fighting, you can, because, because that's going to happen when you're clawing Wolverine to death. Look at Sabretooth and Wolverine. They've been having sexual tension for a hundred years. In this version with Solemn, it's like, oh, okay, but he's not Wolverine's son. So it's not weird for there to be a vibe. (laughs) (laughs) We we did so we we did do an episode about like why all of Wolverine's enemies are chaotic queers, why you've got Mystique who is uh, transgressive in terms of gender and sexuality, why you have uh, Sabretooth which demonstrates that sort of mask for mask. Phys- Sabretooth is like a predatory male sexuality, but directed at anybody. You exactly, know, like exactly. Uh, then you've got Dakin, then you've got Solemn, then you've got there's just lines and lines of all of these. It seems that his enemies have either transgressed by letting themselves fall into violence, a la Sabretooth, mm-hmm. Lady Deathstrike, people who revel yeah. in the violence of it, or people who have succumbed to another urge that he may have. <laughs> well, that's the thing is it's it's about the queerness of Wolverine, right? Exactly. Wolverine is such a gay character, but they are never going to say that. Right. Whoever controls the IP in a suit up at like the tower at like Disneyopolis orbiting the earth or whatever. I don't know whoever that person is, but whoever has to sign off the Wolverine can be gay checkbox. That's not happening. Wolverine is too no. valuable a character. No, no, no. So what you do instead is, I mean, I, I am very impressed with how much they have managed to put on the page about Wolverine and Cyclops in this era. I think yes, astounding, honestly, how much they've managed to do. And I, I think that that's, that's on Jonathan Hickman to some extent, because he had the clout to just be like, I'm going to do this. Yep. <laughs> what do you Listen, and we fuck love- around and find out? What are you going to like step to me about it? What are you gonna do? <laughs> I'm Jonathan Hickman, bitch. Like, I, I love the idea of Jonathan Hickman. I don't know the man, but it's, it's a cocky move. And I appreciate those. Yeah. I mean, this whole era, the whole Krakoa thing is pretty much a just like, that's a cocky move. That's a like, listen, I've got an idea and we're going to fucking do it. Yep. And it paid off. But I think that that is what it is, is like, because Wolverine is so inherently homoerotic as a character, these gay and fluid and queer and bisexual villains are all sort of getting it. Yes, exactly. Like you say, like his hidden nature in the same way that they're like yes. berserker violent lusts do. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, and I've, I've got a slightly different take on that. Cause I'm like, I, he to me is such a car is such a representation of male ideals and heterosexual male ideals. Mm-hmm. that The enemy of those values, the enemy of that identity, the challenges to that self will always be the concepts that are threats to traditional male ideals. So sure. violence is less of a threat. I mean, vi- he embodies violence. No, that's normal, right? Yeah. But glorifying in that violence challenged the stoicism. Sure. That's not very Bushido of you to be like really into this. It, you know? exa- exactly. And then you've got all these queers and it feels like they're all a different type of shadow self of him. Every yeah. nemesis. It's such a tiny like hair's breadth between that and the like, and you're gay. Yeah, yes. He loves yes. women, obviously, but so I'm using gay as shorthand, but like there is a real homoeroticism to that character that is just like just th- I mean, you cast Hugh Jackman, you know <laughs> The boy from Oz? <laughs> Who is when he's not playing Wolverine, the campus man you've ever seen. Yes. Allegedly. 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 Anyway. Anyway. There's like an irony to it as well, because the more they try to make him straight, is the more powerfully it just reads deeply queer. It's the Rob Liefeld thing. 
Yeah. Anthony Oliveira joked on this show in an early episode that like Rob Liefeld seems to have been cursed by a witch to never create a straight character. (laughs) We dug into that, though, because I think what it is, is that Rob Liefeld's aesthetic is so hyper masculine that it can become gay at the drop of a hat because Uh that kind of aggressive hyper masculinity is homoerotic at the end of the day because that's like not attractive to women. It's for other men. True. Whether it's as a, a threat display or whatever, but so it's very easy for it to become a fuck display, you know. <laughs> We're basic enough to like it. Yeah, I'm like, my, my lizard brain's activated, you know. Like that's <laughs> men are stupid, as it turns out, you know. Like we're very simple creatures. So. But yeah, so back to X Factor investigations yep. on Krakoa. What did you like about the stuff Prodigy got to do in this book? I liked the. Uh, the agency that he was given, I like the way that he played a big part of the team. Uh, I really liked his little budding friendship with iBoy. Yeah, I mean, I've I've said I have like iBoy issues where just like iBoy creeps me out, but their friendship is very very cute. I just can't think about like someone having eyes on the bottom of their feet. That just like makes me want to crawl out of my own skin. <laughs> yeah. I have an eyes thing. I just like I can't do it. Uh, so I wondered like whether they move in unison. So say if you stop, like stop, <laughs> stop. Stop, stop. No, what if they move independently? Oh, God. They do. I actually, I have a, I'll show you. Oh, what, what, what? Why are you doing it? No, 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 no. Uh-uh. I was born with a lazy eye and I did exercises my whole, so for the, for those listening at home, I just made my right eye move all the way off to the side and then come back a couple of times. I can do that because when I was a kid, I did all kinds of exercises to train my lazy eye so that I don't have a lazy eye all the time unless I'm drunk, frankly. It's actually how you can tell I need to go to bed or I am wasted is like my <laughs> eye starts, my right eye starts to kind of move by itself. It's like not, but most of the time you can't tell. Now I'm thinking about it though, because I know what that actually feels like. And now I'm like, what if those were all over your body? I hate this. Oh, like in the small of your back? Yeah, that's like Coke bugs. That's like not good. Like no oh. one should be, that's like Morgellon syndrome. Like that's like. <laughs> no, 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 thanks. <laughs> but, uh, technically he should dress like Emma Frost. Yeah, so you could see better. Very weird that he wears. I mean, like... I, but that, but the reason, but like the well, the, the, the reason that the feet eyes occurred to me is because he wears Crocs. I'm like, is that so they can peek out? <laughs> and then I wanted to die. <laughs> is he a foot like a periscope? Come up over the sofa. Uh, There's like a beep 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 beep. There's like tilted around the corner, like up. Oh, Not like peeking. this. We can't go out like, like this. this. You, it's you fine. just no, you it's... just made Entertainment Weekly. I don't want to be the reason that they take I you know. off. <laughs> I know they're gonna take me off the air for these eye boy suggestions. Um, but their friendship was cute. I agree yeah, completely. It was, it was super cute. One of the criticism I've seen of that final issue, which I do yeah. think is a valid criticism, is that it sort of centers eye boy's reaction to what happened to David rather than like David processing what happened to David. You know what I mean? It centers almost everybody else's reaction. Eye boy gets to come in and have a power up moment where. You get very little of Prodigy in the way he's processing his own murder Mm -hmm. because a series of people walk into the room to display their disgust at it. His murder then became about them demonstrating how sort of right on they were. If you aren't someone who's up on the current comics, there's a mystery throughout X Factor, which is that Prodigy has come back from the dead. He's been resurrected on Krakoa, which Mm -hmm. is why he has his powers back, but he doesn't know how he died. It turns out that he's sort of left clues for himself. What happened was he had taken it upon himself to investigate a serial killer who was targeting queer black men and basically set himself up as bait 
to catch this guy, got in over his head and was killed. Yes. This is something of like a rip from the headlines story a little bit because it is similar to the Ed Buck case, which is ongoing here in Los Angeles, where a man named Ed Buck, you know, has like a sexual fetish for black men and for drugs and... And is very rich. Yeah, and people kept dying and nobody did anything about it. And finally, I mean, he's now... Someone's doing something about it, thank God. But it, it took... A long time, and he's getting, I I believe he's only, it's the drug charges, not needed, because you can't prove. It's a terrible case, basically, is the point. So I think that that's part of the reaction, was that it's a case a lot of people are emotional about right now. Yeah, yeah. It was was something that was lifted. And I mean, I, I admire the drive to want to tackle that story. Yeah, I think Leah very clearly has the best of intentions with this story. Especially with a story that is lifted from real people's experience. I think that needs to be dealt with with the highest amount of space and consideration and time and i think it, it suffered from a couple of there was a couple of things that kind of pulled together in this in that one we know that book got cancelled and there was less time to tell this story right but then you have a story that needs time i feel like it needed like five or six issues you know it did it really did and then um you get this sort of wrapping up story that unfortunately then has to tee into Trial of Magneto. Right. So we have to move on to this other murder that's more important to the plot. Exactly. Exactly. And then you get this story where Prodigy's kind of been sidelined in his own murder. We've seen some very visceral graphic depictions of that murder. He hasn't really been able to say much. A lot of space is given to the white allies around him. The payoff was also... So to to right to take us back to the the real life application of this, the big payoffs kind of were that the police come to resolve this, and you know that a man with that level of money and influence, and specifically one of the big parts of the real life way that this played out was that the police didn't intervene, didn't do anything because of who these people were, and so it kind of felt like it was more of a this is how the allies think this should wrap up rather than the way that people of color really understand these things don't always wrap up so easily. And I think that's where there is opportunity for story here, whether it's Leo or whoever else is writing Prodigy next. We don't know what's going to happen with that case. I mean, maybe it will turn out that actually the cops aren't going to do anything. Maybe we will get an opportunity for Prodigy to dig into this more. It's hard when the book gets canceled, obviously, because you would need to have him in a new cast and also have the writer of that book want to pick up this plot. And it's a plot that fans responded to with a lot of controversy. Yeah. I do think that it provides space for Prodigy as a character to process some of that trauma on page and maybe like talk to the other characters. You know, like... If it was me, I'd love to see a healing journey for Prodigy. Mm -hmm. Because I think there was so much promise. There were so many things that he built. Him being part of the Boneyard, the things that he was building and setting up. Uh, I would love to see him heal. And I would love to see... I would love to get a little bit of of inside Prodigy because the the best thing about Prodigy is that he knows so much about the thing, the people around him, but the people that the person that he seems to be the most opaque on is himself. And I'd love if this was the kick of for him to finally go like, who am I? Yeah. Why did I do this? How do I feel about the fact that this happened? 
to me. Well, because that's the question. Why did he decide I'm going to do this? It's a suicidal thing to do, Yeah, basically. Was he so arrogant that he thought it wouldn't happen? Except he prepared for the possibility. It's very, it, it's kind of has a promising young woman vibe to it. Yeah. He embraced the possibility that this would happen. I kind of got like, so he's always trying to be a hero. He was always trying to be a hero. Part of the reason why he even got all of that old knowledge put back in his head is because even depowered, he tries to intervene on people's behalf. Right, and kept getting himself nearly killed. Yeah. He has like a martyrdom in him. He is a hero at the end of the day and wants to sacrifice himself, but would prefer to make it out, obviously. Yeah. But like, it isn't his first thought, which I think is interesting. Well, yeah, the interesting question for me is why did he do it alone? Right. The interesting question for me is when we've watched you build these bonds through this book, when we watched you get close to people, have flirtations, be a really integral part of the team, bond with people over mutant circuits, and in this era of mutant community and collaboration where we've almost broken down some of the traditional hierarchies, there isn't, you know, Charles Xavier and his five blue and yellow minions. <laughs> it's a team of peers where Scott asks... Gene and Gene asks Sink and Sink saves Sunfire and do you know what I mean? Why in this era mm -hmm. of community and, and community flatness did you decide that a suicide mission on your own would be the thing? What does that unpack about you? How do you heal? How do you grow? And how do you learn about yourself as the guy who knows everybody else? I'd love to see that. Yeah, so I think that it has provided rich avenues for story for the character, but mm -hmm. I understand why for a lot of people that issue just did not land. I know that it's been modified somewhat in the hardcover that just came out of the Hellfire Gala issues. Mm -hmm. I haven't had a chance to read that yet. I know that Leah Williams was very clear that she wanted certain things altered. So I'm interested to see what those will be. Yeah. When you take big swings in comics like this, sometimes it's not going to be a home run, you know? My hope is that the prominence the character now has in general consciousness because of X-Factor yeah. means that he will continue to be an integral part of the X-Men franchise going forward, and we'll get to see all of the interiority that I think Black fans in particular are really longing for with this character. Yeah. You want to watch the wound heal? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, big, yeah, big stories. And hopefully, hopefully, if anything, this shows that those big stories need and deserve that care you know absolutely i hope that that doesn't buckle his trajectory right i hope now the the thing inside isn't oh he's a danger character oh the character's controversial right yeah uh, no, i yeah. hope that that's not what happens but otherwise yeah i i mean i i'd want to see him any anywhere else i think he'd be great on rewarders if i'm honest oh that would be fun i mean like you know that's already a pretty stacked cast for the new uh Launch. But with Dakin and Aurora on the team, he should absolutely like guest star once or twice. Like that would be fun. What other team would he be fun on? Honestly, like I think he would be great. I mean, not to get back to the prodigy and gentle of it all, but mm -hmm. I think it would be interesting to see him on Araco because imagine all of the knowledge that he could gain from these people who have been in an alternate world for 5,000 years building their own civilization. Ooh. I mean, that's knowledge that no one on Earth has. And it would be really helpful to Storm, who's trying to really enmesh herself in this culture and understand it in a way that she never really bothered with the Morlocks. Like, that's her great Ooh. failure, right? So now she's, like, trying to make it right with this second go at it. Well done. Well done. She needs... Someone who can translate. He could be like her Doug on some level because he would be able to like understand their culture instinctively. 
I think we call that genius. But... I mean, I just, this is why Entertainment Weekly loves my show. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Right, I'm taking off the headphones. Thank you. It's been lovely to speak to you. <laughs> do you know what? Do you know what I love about that idea is that then he becomes the mutant version of Sync. Yes. Sync went and absorbed all that knowledge about the machines and came back as this vaulted encyclopedia of the machine world and knowledge and he could go there and have a similar art and suddenly understand what mutancy looks like expanded over thousands of years yeah uh, oh then he becomes the exposition machine for all that old mutant culture that we wanted and the Araco stuff yeah because like iska's not going to explain that shit to anybody she's exactly. not interested in holding your hand that's not their way but if prodigy walks in and is like all right let me explain to you how the great ring works that is really helpful yeah, like Vassa Raven moments all over Araco. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm here for it. And we already know Gentle's up there because we saw him with her in uh, Black Panther. So You got your story. You got your next boo. There you go. We love it. It's all coming together. <laughs> yes, yes. Perfect. And Tommy can hang out. He can guest star. <clears throat> Here's the thing about young gays. They're all... Nobody's <laughs> nobody's monogamous, guys. This is I mean, okay, don't email. If you are a young gay who is monogamous, God bless you. Don't email me. Ooh. Love that for you. I was for a couple years in college. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm just saying the gays in their 20s are having a time. And I imagine on Araco, they're having a real time. <laughs> I think now is a good time to get into the listener questions. We got a lot of great questions for this episode, but a lot of them were along similar lines. So I have cut them down. I'm sorry if you don't get yours read, but them's the breaks. Andre Hetu writes, as someone who's seen myself represented in black queer characters like Prodigy, I've been waiting to get to ask a question about him. Do you think that he fell into the sci-fi queer trope where writers feel the need to specifically explain the presence of queerness, the same way they'd explain Spider-Man having spider powers? The explanation that he's bi because his powers absorbed someone else's queer sexuality always felt off to me in a way I don't have language to describe. I hope this question makes sense to you because I'm struggling to turn my feelings into coherent thoughts. So that's an interesting question. That isn't really how I read that anecdote. I see it more as because like he can't absorb your thoughts. He can only absorb the things that you've learned. And so by being near someone who had learned that <laughs> they were attracted learned to what? men. Learned what? Kona? That they thought men were hot, who had figured out, oh, I didn't mean like <laughs> I wasn't God. <laughs> don't be don't be vulgar. <laughs> I didn't mean techniques. I meant, you know, <laughs> yeah. by being near someone who had processed that attraction, he was able mm -hmm. to process it in himself more readily. I don't think that he, like, sucked it in from somebody else. That's not really how his power works. Now you're making a face because I said sucked it in from somebody else. <laughs> I hope for his sake he got to suck. Listen, that's how I came to that realization. So it's not... <laughs> I thought maybe, and then I did that, and I went, you know what? Yes, that's this is it's a winner, this baby. is where I meant to be. Hello, Entertainment Weekly. I'm so <laughs> glad you're here. Larry Ware writes, Dear Connor and Ash, I'm so excited for this episode. Prodigy was one of the few reasons I read the Academy X stuff. When I was younger, he felt like a sink replacement. Uh -huh. I wanted more visibly black male American mutants on the page. Even before I understood Bishop's actual history, I didn't really count him for a number of reasons. Sink was really the first character I can remember fitting that mold and clicking with me in that way. And then they killed him off. Do you think Prodigy was supposed to be a replacement for that mistake? Their powers are similar. They come from different backgrounds, but neither of them really fit the black 
male stereotypes of the time period. If this was the attempt at fixing a mistake, how did depowering him factor in? As I was reading, it felt like more of the it's okay to kill off or depower the black character trope that I found in most media I consumed. Insert praise for the show. Thank you so much for the hard work. It is truly, truly appreciated. Kenny Ware. I th yeah, I think that's a great question. I think we kind of touched on each of those points a little bit throughout the the, the, the carry of the episode. Mm -hmm. But I think that I don't necessarily think that they're built with as replacements of each other. No, I do think they're similar archetypally, though. Yeah. Yes, there was an arch archetype of the black guy for every generation. And I think that the uh, the common tropes about black people are so pervasive that when you're trying to build a different nuanced character, sometimes you fall into that same the same territories. Right, because like by being not stereotypical, you've created a new stereotype. The anti-stereotype. Right. The antithesis. The opposite. And funnily enough, they're all like absorbing characters. I take your energy. I take your powers. I take your knowledge. Mm-hmm. Because that's not like physically aggressive, right? They're receptive. They are... Right. They're not brawlers in a typical sense, uh, although Bishop doesn't have a gun. But his power is to take energy and shoot it back out. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so he kind of qualifies as as one of the Bora boys too. Yeah, he's more like Sebastian Shaw with it though, where it's like it's definitely aggressive, you know. Like, yeah, it's more of a like I'm rubber, you're glue kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of black characters across media uh, do suffer from the destruction of the black body as a ritual almost. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, it's difficult to watch a black character go through something and not have some sort of physical violence or physical pain or experience be put upon them i don't think he was a replacement but i do think there's a lot of similar tropes that you will see generally it's interesting sink gets killed off because he is the most likable and well-liked member of the cast right so if you want a trauma it's like doug honestly back in new mutants old school new mutants it's mm -hmm. like you kill off the character that everybody on the team likes because then they're all sad about it. With David, it's a little different because his depowering makes him a more central character to the narrative in a lot of ways, because it's through him that we kind of get the experience of being decimated, because most of the decimated characters just kind of leave. Yeah, or die, yeah. They either get blown up on the bus or they're like Danny and Jubilee and they just get kind of put on a bus, essentially. Yeah. The two characters who really show us the experience of decimation before Danny gets more focus again in uh, the Zeb Wells are Polaris, whose experience is very brief because Apocalypse repowers her quickly, and David, whose experience is not brief and keeps going and is something that we follow for many years. Mm. He became a unique character through the depowering. Like, the fact that he's on Utopia and wants to be on Utopia, even though he's not a mutant and there's eradication attempts against mutants every day, he's making a really defined choice that I think is interesting and makes him a cool character. Like, he got stuff out of it, so it's, it's a slightly different case, I think, but it's still, for sure, the Black man is going to shoulder this incredible burden. Yeah so that everybody else can learn a lesson. There is that quality to it. There is always that. And I think part of this... Okay, so my, my thought is, is yes. He, he will always go through some level of trauma, but the scarcity of black characters means mm -hmm. that we don't get the same level of variety. 
we don't get to see the plurality. We don't get to see black people who don't suffer. Black people who luck out and skip everything. And are fine, black, right. Yeah, <laughs> because, we, because we don't have the volume of characters, we have to concentrate all of our focus through these once-in-a-generation characters who all, as, as one part of an ensemble team, have to suffer in some way. And I think this is, this is then becomes a... It becomes a, a result of scarcity and how much story has to funnel through really a small set of characters. Well, you look at Monet, who won the lottery in a lot of different ways. Like, she's unbelievably gorgeous. She has every power you could want to have. And she's unbelievably wealthy. But her backstory is one of the most traumatic anybody is going to have in the whole franchise. So... It's almost inescapable, in part because that's the X-Men, but yeah. it does hit harder when you're the one. Yes. In yes. your generation. Like, this is the one black girl, and this is her story. There we go. And also, the worst thing is that, I mean, there's a fuckload of bullshit out there about black people. It's actually really hard to avoid anti-black tropes, because there's fucking loads of them. There's lots of them. Racists really went fucking ham. Like, they... <laughs> They really did. They did that. There's a lot of fucking mines. <laughs> yeah, like, there's fucking receipts and landmines for almost everything. It's been a long time. A lot of fuckery. So I think there's, there's a level of inevitability, inevitability, sorry, when you have so few characters, yeah. Even the most well-meaning white writer is going to step on some of those landmines because there are so many of them, is I think the takeaway. What you do when that happens is you be gracious about it and go like, hey, like, my bad, I fucked that up. And try to do it better the next time. Like, that's all you can really do. Mike Carey said something about that on uh, the Frenzy episode that I thought was interesting. Because someone wrote in with a question, like, how do you... And he was like, well, I just, you know, I understand that I'm going to make mistakes. And that when I'm told I've made a mistake, I need to try not to make that mistake again next time. And also ask people, you know, what they think about things. That's true. And I think there's there's two things that I find really interesting there. Is one, I think people are definitely going to make mistakes. It is inevitable. But then if you know that you're walking into an area that is where you might not see the landmines. Then ask for help finding them. Uh, yes. It, then it, the, the, the onus is then to get really, really intentional before and while. Uh, and Hire someone with a metal detector, you know? like Yeah. <laughs> and then also you have so few characters to explore these themes with. So remembering also is that I think there's this thing of mistakes are going to happen. But I think there's this idea that when people see mistakes as uh, singular and in a vacuum, and ultimately, when you accidentally step on someone's foot and you go, oh, no, you know, I messed up a bit. Fair enough. Fair play. But it's, make, it's being aware that you might be the 30th person to make that mistake with that character yeah. in the last three years. And because there are so few characters, they accumulate really quickly into one character's history. Especially with like a sliding time scale, because you look at some of these characters and how much time has been allowed to pass in their lives. And you're just like, wow, this character sure been through. I mean, that's part of why Hellions was so good is mm. that almost no character has been more through it in the last like 15 years than Alex Summers. Like they just oh. Rick Remender just put that kid in a blender <laughs> and then all kinds of other shit kept happening. Like it was just not a good time to be Havoc. Hellions is just like, guess what? If all of that happened to you in a sliding time scale, let's say it was about two years, you'd be bug fuck crazy for a while. Like you would need therapy. You would need some kind of self-actualizing hobby. Like exactly. you would need something to do. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's why I'm so committed to this idea that of seeing healing in Prodigy. Yeah, I agree. 
you know, because because a lot of these characters are accumulating honest mistakes at a really really quick rate, and it's like there has to be a refilling period, yeah, too. I think, but yeah, that that was that was a that's kind of what I got on that one. We have two questions that are somewhat connected, so I'm going to read them together and then we'll okay. sort of discuss both of them. So Dylan from Washington writes, Hello, Connor and guests. Hopefully it goes without saying I'm a big fan of the podcast. I'm emailing to ask what you think about the character trajectory of Prodigy in the context of popularity and use. Not having read much of the Decimation Era stuff, I learned about the character through Leah's X Factor and then went back and saw he'd been in the Gill and Young Avengers. I'm more of a champions guy, so I missed that one. Well, he's had a few lulls in his publication history. He never really got properly put on a bus, LOL. He's always managed to be doing something, whether in an X-book or otherwise. Do you think this is due to a few creators who just like the character, or is there something intrinsic about him that makes him so appealing? Do you think the method of taking lower-tier X characters and putting them on non-X teams is an effective way of keeping them relevant, or do you think that gets too messy? And then Dave Katzen writes... Hi, Connor and Van the First. I was wondering about your take on David's development. His tenure with the Young Avengers is a rare instance of an X-Man's appearing outside of the X-Office's oversight as neither a trivial footnote nor a head-scratching dwy. In fact, he's probably more popular now when he was seriously at risk of becoming a forgotten Academy X-Kid. But how common is that sort of success story? Other than Hank McCoy's original run with the Avengers, I can't think of too many cases where X-Characters thrive outside the X-Men. And no, I'm not forgetting Logan's Avengers run, I just don't think it served him. How do you feel about the treatment of X-Characters when in the hands of creative teams that aren't necessarily inclined to think in terms of the mutants as a community or subculture needing advocacy in the writer's room? So I think those were both interesting sort of related questions. What do you think about why he has endured as a character more so than his classmates? Even like going to Avengers titles, you know, like being around. Because I think he's fucking fun. I think he's really fun from a writer's perspective. Yes. He can know anything you need him to know. So other other characters are probably so limited in their backstory and their, their personalities and the experiences that they've had. You can literally give him anything. He can turn up and know anything. Even if the power is technically gone, your ability to retcon that he knows something is not gone. Because the cuckoo's unlocked everything he learned before M-Day, and that can be any number of things that we've never seen before on panel, right? Yeah. So if I'm Kieran Gillen and I'm looking at, like, who's a character in this age range that I can bring in, that's an appealing idea to bring into your book as a writer who likes complicated plots, who likes weird situations like that. I think also the fact that he got decimated made him very easy to slot into Avengers books because he wasn't really an X-Men character anymore in that sense. Yeah, but then you have, um, you've got people like uh, Armor, who shows up in Captain Marvel. I think Prodigy got used because he was an interesting character who could be anything that you wanted and also wasn't too contrived in that he wasn't a big blasty fighty one. Right, you can just kind of sneak him in there. He's a cerebral character who can give you a little bit of a different texture. Well, that's the other thing is that the Young Avengers didn't really have that archetype, particularly if Billy is going to be out of the narrative for a bit because of the plot that's going on. Mm -hmm. Because he's sort of the smart one of the team, I guess. Well, Kate Bishop's pretty smart, but she's like, she's not that kind of character. You get what I'm saying? She's quippy. Yeah, she's not like the brains of the team in like that way that Prodigy is. Yeah. So yeah, I think that that was useful. And I, I think that that is just that like, I think Kieran Gillen liked that character. Sometimes that is all it takes. Because it's not just the appearance or like being on the team. It's that then that book was a huge hit. Yeah. Here's another example of a character that that book made explode. Miss America Chavez was a throwaway character from a miniseries nobody cares about, about the ultimate nullifier, where Stacey X 
is like having a threesome. Truly, you do not need to look this up unless <laughs> you, like me, are a Stacey X completionist. But there's no, <laughs> there's no real need to, to read it. I'm just saying that three people out there went, yeah. And like, I don't know. I'd have to ask Kieran and uh, he might not even remember at this point because it's been a while. But yeah. my sense is that Eli Bradley was tied up in uh, legal issues at that time. And that's why he's not in that book because of the dispute around red, white and black. Mm-hmm. The whole Bradley family, I think, was like kind of off limits at that time that got resolved they resolved the case in time for Falcon and the Winter Soldier. There was a whole bit about that. I was like, aha. And I wouldn't be surprised now if we start seeing Patriot again more. But I think it was one of those things where it was like, there was kind of a legal holdup. So the two characters that get brought onto the team, Mm -hmm. well, I guess there's Marvel boy also, but I'm thinking about it. And like, you have a black male character in prodigy and you have the flag suit character in Miss America Chavez. They were characters who Prodigy had been more developed because of the Academy X material, but they're characters who I think Gillen really fleshed out in a way that made them really popular characters because people loved that book. Yeah, and I mean, the person that Prodigy was at the beginning and the person that he is at the end are miles apart. Right. He manages to cram so much character development in, in his short run, yeah. There's a lot of effort and time and thought that gets put into Prodigy. We only talked about the kisses and whatnot. What's your favorite bit from that period for Prodigy? Like, in terms of the characterization advancements, like, what did you like most? Him realizing, when he when he says to Hulkling, he says something like, um, you're the thing that makes that relationship work. If I was going to die here, I had to know what the love that you guys feel would feel like. Mm-hmm. You start to paint this picture of this kid who... Because he knows everything about everyone, and because he's kind of used and seen as a bit of a uh, everything box by the people around him, kind of is a little bit alienated. Yeah. You know, people, and as I was reading it, I was like, oh yeah, I can imagine that maybe people don't speak to you as freely, because they assume you know. Or they only come to you when you want to problem solve. The first opening bits of the book, which equally are meant to land to you, that he's super smart kind of also land to you that he's a bit of a tool and people don't engage with him fully as a person they come to him when they want a solution out of the brain yeah and the idea that that would alienate him a little bit and he'd i mean putting away all the sort of fucked up dynamics of trying to wreck someone's relationship sure (laughs) i thought it was a sweet thing then i thought obviously that he fucked it all up when he was like if i was you i'd take a break (laughs) here's some very disingenuous relationship advice that's ultimately meant to help me but you know go for it run for it run for it yeah it's always nice particularly for these characters i mean particularly for the academy acts where there were like 80 fucking characters to pluck one of them out and give them an opportunity it's why pixie has been an enduring character it's why Mm. armor from the moment she showed up has been a really prominent character because she was the one major student in the whedon run Sometimes when you pull somebody out and say, like, this is the kid that we care about, as opposed to it being like, here's a bunch of teens. Young Avengers is itself, here's a bunch of teens, but they each have an individual. It's not the same thing. They're not a class. It's a group of friends. And this is the one X-Men character we're going to use. Suddenly people are like, oh, who's this character if they didn't know him before? Yes. And I think that that went a long way. I think so. As for whether or not X-Men characters can thrive outside of the X-Men context, I think it depends. A lot of the time, no. 
And the reason why a lot of the time, no, <laughs> is because it takes them outside of the mutant context in such a profound way mm-hmm. that they start to feel like, like you look at Firestar and Justice and like, as far as I'm concerned, they should not be welcome on Krakoa. Like, bye-bye. Yeah. You know, like their ideology is so far removed from the struggle of their minority group in any way yeah. that I find it like, I'm like, those are not X-Men characters, you know? Uh, I mean, Justice certainly isn't, but even Firestar, I'm just kind of like, I get that you were on an X-Men team once for like a minute. I know that you debuted in a little miniseries with the Hellions, but like, what have you done for me lately? <laughs> it's just kind of how I feel about those characters. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I agree. And I, agree. I think that the reason it worked here was yeah. for the same reason that Danny Moonstar is able to work well in Valkyrie titles, like stuff yes. about the Thor stuff. And it's because they both got decimated. So the mutant aspect was no longer central to their story. Now, being a decimated mutant, it was very clear it was still a dangerous thing to be. There were still bigots who wanted to kill you, and lots of decimated mutants did get murdered in hate crimes. What that then provided is, okay, if we want this character to be a superhero, we need to give them maybe something else to do. Yeah. Danny already had the Valkyrie history. So like, okay, let's just give her that again. And she becomes an Asgard adjacent character. She gets to do stuff. Similarly yeah. here, it was like, what if he uses all this knowledge he got with the X-Men to be a young Avengers character? And mm. that helped him pop. But Danny and Prodigy have both been able to reintegrate back into the X-Men franchise very easily because once they got their powers back, it was very much like, I'm a mutant, though. Like, that is where their head is at, you know? Like, they care about being a mutant, and they care about mutant culture, and Mm -hmm. they wouldn't want to be too removed from it. So that's the thing, is I feel like it only works with characters who are already kind of divorced from the X-Men franchise to begin with. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, like, Storm in non-X-Men books is always weird to me. Like, I thought she was good in Coates' Black Panther. I'm not saying it can't be good. I'm always just like, why are you here? Like, there's stuff going on that you need to be, like, present for. Like, you should be in an X-Men story right now, you know? Yeah. That that book, I loved it, though. That, that was the Black book. Prodigy was there. He was. I was going to say, Prodigy, Prodigy was there, too. There was a whole, and Frenzy, there was a whole, like, the Black Mutants show up to yep. help out, which was yep. a cool moment. All the cousins. I think she's had good moments in other stuff for sure. And I think Coates writes a killer storm. I just like, for example, when she and T'Challa were on the Fantastic Four for a minute, I was just like, what the fuck is... And that was Dwayne McDuffie. Like, that man was a genius, but it just felt so wrong. I'm like, why is like Storm palling around with Avengers type characters? I'm like, I can't... I I can't imagine a conversation between Storm and Sue Storm. Yeah. What do Storm and Sue Storm have to talk about particularly? <laughs> Absolutely, like, literally nothing. Like, I, c- I can imagine she tried to touch her hair in the first 15 seconds. Oh, my God. Well, all Aurora would be, uh, like, Aurora's only thought, I'm sure, the entire would be, like, divorce him. <laughs> divorce, babes. Divorce. Divorce. Because here's the thing, like, it's not like Aurora doesn't understand being attracted to a morally suspect mad scientist. She spent a decade with Forge. It's a thing she understands. (laughs) But at a certain point, you gotta walk away. (laughs) You don't have babies with that guy. You just don't. (laughs) (laughs) I I felt like both of them would literally stand across the room like, divorce him? No, you divorce him. Right. Hold on a minute, Forge. Hold on a minute, no more. (laughs) 
Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, Namor's hot. I get it. I mean, so is Forge. Honestly, like, you know. Wolverine, like, a list, a list. Like, the rap sheet is long on both sides there. I mean, well, Wolverine's community dick. Like, if you told me Sue Storm had fucked Wolverine, I wouldn't be surprised. That's very true. Before she and Reed got married or whatever, like, I don't think she would cheat on Reed except maybe with Namor. (laughs) I hope. God willing. (laughs) Sarah Sentry was saying on Twitter, she was like, the fact is that when Sue Storm wore that bathing suit and cut a four out for boobs in the 90s and did nothing but threaten to divorce Reed every issue, it was kind of awesome. And I'm like, it was kind of awesome. That's like the baddie Sue Storm that I want in my (laughs) day to day. I mean, honestly, when she threatened back in Civil War, when she was like, I'm going to divorce you, I was like, please, please just do it. Like, that would have been great. Just let him be a supervillain. Right. Just do it. And have fun. Take the kids. <laughs> Fuck the fish king. Live your best life. There is no reason to be with this man any longer. I don't care how much he can stretch. I assure you the imperious sex is worth it. <laughs> well, hey, whatever makes it work. Al Pavlis writes, Hello, Connor and Ash. I've been waiting for this collaboration for what seems like forever. Connor, I'm a huge fan of the pod and will try to contain my feral nature when it comes to Academy X. Ash knows me as the Academy X guy from X of Words. (laughs) (laughs) None can describe how much love I have for him and all he's done with the X of Words community. It's a vibe. You're both a vibe. Well, thank you, Al. Moving on to why we're really here. To discuss your disdain, Connor, for what would be my class of ex-students. Kidding. I know there's just too many. It's fine. The yearbook specials got you. Prodigy's one of those lucky students who I say made it. Well, A, he made it out alive, which is saying a lot for that class, and B, he made it into other books, and even recently got a new look and is seeing a little more use of his powers, which is always an interesting lean. I've noticed they use the word telepath back when describing his absorption, and personally, I've always loved telepaths that only have a specific aspect to make them specialized, like the OG New Mutants karma and moonstar if we count them as telepaths should we count david would either of you count him as a telepath do you think he's capable of expanding his power set in a more telepathic way would you want that i think it would be interesting for him to be considered more of a specialized telepath like danny or karma but i feel that's overlooked i love him being the smartest guy in the room but we need more black or latinx telepaths cc tag an academy x student they also use the term telepathic about when describing his attract and repel powers am i reaching or does prodigy need more telepathic status flowers thanks for reading stay feral Al. <laughs> I love Al. Thanks, Al. Hey, Al. Hi, how you doing? Um, <laughs> I fucking, fucking love Al. Yes, I would say there are a shocking lack, shocking lack of black telepaths. You're about to get him on the Astrid Bloom tangent on this podcast. I knew someone was going to do it. I knew. She's, listen, when we talk about style, when we talk about grace, when we talk about, <laughs> when we talk about the girl that gave your girl everything she knows... That's allegedly no i no, i we we uh actually if you are not a listener of x of words you should go to at the very least the episode that i did on lourdes chantel with ash it was a lot of fun we talked a bit about emma and astrid i am still game to write giant size x-men emma and astrid with you ash where we reveal that emma made all that shit up she made all of it <laughs> It's a very different story. Because that would be fun. What I don't like about it is how weak that story makes Emma. It's not really anything else about it. Like, I just think it's a bad story for Emma. And it certainly doesn't do Astrid any favors. So I say, let's wake Astrid's ass up and see what happens. Wake everybody's ass up. Because I went through that issue going, "Mm -mm, no, 
that didn't happen. <laughs> no, that's a lie. We know that's a lie. And like, it was a mess. It was a mess. And like, uh, anyway, to, to not like to... the very first issue, we see her walking around watching TV and she's younger than the 05. I'm like, bitch, none of this is true. <sighs> no, none of this is true. Yeah, like very much Valentina in your fantasy. This is great. <laughs> We love that that's... And the worst thing is, is that you know that she could make you agree with that bullshit. That's why, that's why no one calls her on a bullshit. Because you never want to catch Emma in a direct lie. She'll just wipe your shit. Yeah, telling a telepath that they're lying to you usually goes poorly. So, <laughs> what are you going to... No, but I agree that, obviously, I mean, we've talked about this before on the show. Like, it is conspicuous that there are not that many black characters with mental powers, especially with telepathy, because telepathy is a power that is historically very classed and therefore, Mm -hmm. by association, very raced. Like, the only prominent black telepath is Monet, who is outstandingly rich. And it's the weakest of her skills. Right. And that is... You know, thank God, honestly, because she's so fucking powerful that I think if she was like a really good telepath, also it would be like, what do we do with this character (laughs) at all? But it is notable that the thing that she's less good at is that. It's the mental capacity stuff. She has all the physical attributes. Yeah, I read it more as like she doesn't have the patience to like really be like, let's practice telepathy. It's like how Emma probably is a latent telekinetic, but isn't very good at it, so just never bothered. Actually, that's an interesting thing. I've never thought about it, but Emma and Monet are kind of the same person in two directions. Oh, they're wildly similar. That's why Monet can't stand her. But even even down to a power level, because you've got Emma, who is a leading telepath, who can turn to Diamond and beat the shit out of you if she likes, but prefers right, but that's to not leave her... on telepathy. Exactly. You've got Monet, who has similar sort of skill set. Who has Supergirl just... powers and is also theoretically a telepath, but that's not her first resort. Yeah. yeah. But do I think do I think he's a telepath? Yes. Uh, what other things would I like his telepathy to be able to do? I think it would be amazing to sort of build on what you said. If he could touch people and decide if it became a more explicit take, if he could remove information from your head. Oh, like take it out of take you. Take it out. Like what I get. Say, if I'm standing next to you, I know what you know. If I touch you, I know what you now don't know. Right, like, oh, you learned the passcode to your secret base, supervillain? Guess what? It's gone now, and I know it. Exactly. It makes him a great insert for, for example, you know when they go and they remove uh, the knowledge of how to create the X-gene inhibition collar? Reed made right when they wipe Reed's mind you could have Prodigy just do that and now Prodigy knows how it's made just in case anybody else tries to make it or whatever exactly and then he becomes like almost this uh, mental dark hold of all the forbidden knowledge yeah he's like a Dybbuk box like he's just like holding <laughs> yeah. all the bad shit inside like I've got it in case anybody needs it but it's not it's like forbidden knowledge that we won't let these people have I think that could be really interesting I would agree that I would consider him a telepath in the way that Danny is a telepath, where it's Mm -hmm. like you can take things out of minds, but like she can't read the minds in quite the same way. And I think that that's sort of where he's at. I wouldn't want them to take him in a traditionally telepathic way just because I think he's so distinctive right now. It's the same way, like, I don't think Danny or Karma should really be developed as like general telepaths. Karma maybe more so because her power has less usefulness by itself. But with Danny, I'm like, let's not get too far away from what makes Danny cool, which is that she makes illusions and she has these psi arrows from the 90s that are cool. Let's just stick to that. Yeah. Or it's like people are like, you know, should Kanon develop 
lots more telepathic stuff like Betsy has. I'm like, no, the point of this new version of Kanon is to have the 90s Psylocke that everybody thought was so fucking cool. And part of what's cool about 90s Psylocke is like, yeah, the butterfly pops up if she's like doing a thinky thought, but most of the time she's got a big fucking knife and it's awesome. <laughs> you know, like don't fuck with it if it's working. You know what I mean? They're specialists. Yeah. And I think that it's good to have characters who are specialists like that. Mm-hmm. But I would like to see more black characters who are telepaths in that way that we understand like a telepath in X-Men comics to be. I think a revamp of Astrid Bloom could be very funny. You could also just like introduce an entirely new character. But I think that it would be, I think that there's definitely like a lack there that does feel somewhat, again, like unintentional, but because we're all swimming in these negative stereotypes of black people it's not surprising that there aren't that many black characters with mental powers because there is so much emphasis among white people and the world in general because as you point out anti-blackness is a global phenomenon yeah the idea of black people as physical powerhouses specifically rather yeah. than mental powerhouses which is a stereotype but 100 percent. but i also think that there's this um from a writer's perspective telepathy poses a really specific question which is what would i do if I had control over other people? What would I do if I could change your mind? What moral issues would that present me? What temptations would that throw up? And that's why with characters like Charles and Emma, it's very much sort of a literalization in a sci-fi way of their rich white privilege. And class aspirations, especially when it comes to Emma, how she used telepathy as a way to pull herself To make herself rich, yeah, without taking her father's money. She's taking other people's money. But she earned it. Yeah, some of that she made through great cleavage. Yeah, listen, it's honest work. There we go. She was like side boob and a little bit of mindy mind. That's how we're going to make it happen. That's how we're going to make this happen. But yeah, I think you have to be really connected to the drives and the pulls on a particular person as they stand and where they're positioned in order to make telepathy a compelling power set to have. It has to be someone who's tempted to abuse it. But it would be so easy for, to fall into like tropes. Mm-hmm. And like, I think you probably need, so, you probably want a black writer to sit with it and be like, yeah, what, how, how, if I could do this, what would, what interpersonal things would I want to change? What structural things would I try to change? Who would I, whose mind would I go to? Like, it, and, and that's a really, really interesting question. But I think it's quite a deep one and you need to be located quite closely to the character to do it really, really well. Yeah, it's sort of like an inherently predatory power and therefore it takes a deft hand to give it to a minority character without it coming across in a way that might not be great. So it just takes thought. That's not to say not to do it. It's just that it takes thought. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Sam Gladstone writes, Seasons greetings, Connor, an esteemed guest. Excited to hear from a new voice because Connor always gets the right guest for each episode. Oh, that's very sweet. Thank you. <laughs> you're right that all these characters need is a champion. Connor, we all know your distaste for Surge, but how do you guys think she and Prodigy broke up? Is it messy and he avoids being around her now? Why do you think they did break up? Was it the blue hair or the racism? Thank you for everything. Can't wait to hear these new episodes and happy holidays to all of you. <sighs> I think those are two good reasons for why they never should have been together. His taste is just mystifying to me. I just don't. I mean, I think like Tommy Shepard is like a perfectly cute boy, but I don't get his. I mean, like the Colossus of it all I get for sure. And if he's into gentle, I fully get that. But now I'm talking about my type, which is not his type. (laughs) In terms of them breaking up, I'm forgetting the sequence of events. Do they get back together after the thing where she like pretends that she's cheating on him with Julian? 
I can't remember. He like very emphatically breaks up with her at one point. He does. Like on panel. But I cannot remember. I'm honest. She's just, I I think it's quite, she's just horrible. She's just the fucking worst. (laughs) She is. She's just a horrible, horrible lady. And um, I don't, I think it's, I think it's really intentional that he's never spoken to her again. Yeah, I just don't think, I can't imagine them, like, being exes who are friends. Like, I have exes I'm good friends with. That is not the vibe I get of anybody interacting with Surge, frankly. Do you know what I mean? Is it, like, people barely want to be her friends? I don't see her as the kind of person who's like, you broke up with me? It's okay. We'll be friends yeah. forever. Like, I just, that doesn't seem like her style. Do you me. know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have a really mature reaction to this. Right. <laughs> it just doesn't, that's not the vibe. That's not the vibe that no. I that I see for her. Scorched Earth. Scorched Earth. I would love to see him and Surreya having a giggle about her at some point, though. That would be cute. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it would be cute. Would Not be in, cute. like, a mean way, but just in, a, like, an if you know, you know. Like, they could even just look at each other. There could even just be, like, an eye contact. Like, Serge says something really fucking crazy, and, like, you just see Surreya and David, like, glance at each other, just like... Yeah. That or could even be really like... cute. Yeah, they should turn up and it's like, anybody spoke to Serge? And there's a look. And they move on. (laughs) Someone pointed out that in Young Avengers, there's that display of, like, the phone tree of, like, young heroes calling each other. Oh, yeah. And it shows Dust calling Serge. And so it was like, after listening to the episode, I can't believe that this would be part of the phone tree. And I said... Soraya is unfailingly generous. That is something we have seen again and again about that character. <laughs> she is. Damn, I would not have that girl's number in my phone. I, I hope she. I hope she calls her up like once a month. This is for Rachel. You dusty ass, <laughs> nasty racist ass, oompa loompa buddy ass. <laughs> oh, dude. <sighs> Robin A writes. Hello, Connor and Ash. I'm so excited to hear both of your thoughts on the one and only David Elaine. Prodigy's had a real fashion glow up lately. What kind of brands and styles do you think he would wear? Do you think he and Tommy would be one of those cool couples with outfits that complement each other? I think David's a tech wear kind of guy, but that could be me projecting. Much love. Thank you for the amazing podcast. Robin, Robin Isms on Twitter. That's, she says, sorry, Connor. That's Robin I-Z-I-M-Z. He dressed really fucking badly for almost all of his tenure. Like even, the worst thing is, is a lot of people like to pop mouth at Prodigy. And it's kind of, it gets me a little bit. Sometimes it, it riles me a little bit. Like people will turn around to him and be like, oh, how you doing, young, gifted and black? Like they did in in, in Young Avengers. I was like, fuck you. And then like Elixir one time turns around to me, put on a jacket and some shades. He's like, I can't figure out if you're meant to be shaft. Well, I mean, Elixir, we have established, is a racist. I, I, I mean, I, he seems to have grown and changed as a person. Great. Good for him. Love that for him. But not shocking, let's say. It wasn't, it wasn't shocking, but people have been dragging him quite consistently for his clothes. Yeah, and it never feels affectionate in the way that, like, like if you go back to the old New Mutant stuff, they all call Danny Chief a lot, and, like, that is, like, a little cringe to read now. Yeah. But it seems pretty clear at the time that, like, she thinks it's funny and she's in on the joke. And, like, it's a white person writing it, but, like, it's affection. They all call each other, like, they call each other nicknames. They're calling, like, Sam a hick or whatever. It reads different when it's just, like, here's just some white kids making jokes about this black kid being black. And you're just kind of like, what? Yeah, the the shaft thing was very fucked up. The shaft thing was fucked up. Like, fuck off. Fuck you. Fuck you. What do you wear, Josh? Show me your fit. Like, Josh looked just as busted as the rest of them. But he did try to wear a trench coat to do missions. 
with yellow glasses that had no function. And at some yeah, stage... Yeah, those yellow glasses are horrible. I'm not going to lie. Those are fucking atrocious. It wasn't it. I, I would like and to And he's still that. in yellow glasses. The yellow glasses now are much more chic. The ones from Academy X, it's a boot. It, it was. I mean, he was young, you know? Yeah. I, he didn't buy them. I think, like, Danny bought those forever. Like, those uniforms... Those are all... By the way, here's the real thing, and this is not Danny's fault if she bought those outfits. The early aughts for the Gen Z kids who were not cognizant of it, or who were not alive, God help me. <laughs> yeah, because that keeps happening more and more frequently than I expect. It was one of the most dire times for fashion, really, in human memory. Like, certainly in the last hundred years if you like look at a decade on the whole the aughts was rough it was like a chunky highlight it was a low-rise jean with a flare (sighs) skirts over bootleg jeans it was like a belly shirt but with like a ruffle there was a lot going on do you remember the vest era yes what was that we would just wear vests over our t-shirts what was that it's fine it's fine uh it didn't happen it's fine We've moved on now, and we're all okay now. I'm just saying it was a time, and it was not, like, you'll notice the fashion of the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, all comes back into vogue. Unless it's pointedly ironic, you rarely see a moment that's like, yeah, baby, 2004, let's kill it. Like, let's just not... <laughs> yeah, yeah fucking sexy it was the leftovers of all of those you know that meal that you eat the day after christmas literally that was the style of the entire it was a movie. boxing day meal i knew it had to happen once i knew it had to happen once there you go that's your one that's your one that's your one your one shot i will say ash is sitting in his flat with all of these beautiful plants all around him and i said oh my god i love your plants and i said or oh, i suppose plants and he was like you must stop now <laughs> i was like i will stop i will but i love a i love a plant i'm surrounded by americans and i have to put you all on a quota because if i didn't i get it it would just be constant it would just be constant we just love it we just love it there's something so our voices are so like to us it's just regular sounding obviously like i obviously i have an accent i'm, I'm conscious of that but yeah. There's something about like European accents that are just so exotic to us. It's like you came from another planet. You're smarter than us. It's just like, <laughs> that's the problem. The reason why British people who are idiots are often able to fool Americans into thinking things like politically or yeah. whatever is because we just assume this person must be smarter than me. They talk like this. And then like another British person is like, no, that person's a fucking idiot, actually. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. oh, I didn't realize I was fooled. I was tricked by the plants. Yeah, but that, work, that works here too. That works here too. I bet. I You're pushing off here. People just start giving. They start giving you jobs. They go, "You want? You want to fuck off in Parliament? Yeah, yeah. Do you want to? Right? Yeah. Want to run the country? You got that Oxford RP kind of accent going on. Uh, you can. Where do you want to? Where do you want? Anywhere you want. <laughs> Pick a seat. <laughs> yeah. Fashion. Fashion wise, uh, there's one terrible. The one that I like to laugh at the most is there's one like really iconic picture of David where he's doing. You know the one where he's holding the little. Uh, the little books and he's he's writing in white he's chalk writing in the, on the yeah, glass, yeah, yeah, yeah. On the on the, mm-hmm. like, the window pen. He has the trench off there, but Which, it's otherwise the same bad costume. He's wearing like a, a, a bright fluorescent orange YouTube headset. Like do you, do you know one of those like Bluetooth headsets that used to go uh-huh. around the back of the ear? 
one of those for some unknown reason he has two giant buttons in his armpits yeah i don't know why it's just one of the most hideous things i've ever seen a comic character wear so i totally get it and i like to think that at some point he just accidentally on purpose bumped into like christian absorbed everything about actually fucking dressing about fashion right and was like <laughs> now i'm good I'm <laughs> he's on. like right i'm x-factor ready let's do this yeah i got this because menswear is hard if it was women's wear, you could just hang out with Storm for like a day and you will never look. Apart from that IVX look, which is a true boot. Uh-huh. I'm not sure she's ever had like a bad cost. You know what I mean? Like she's always bringing it. She is. But then she's got the Rihanna effect where you are so glorious that you could wear almost anything. It's true. She could wear a burlap sack and we'd be like, Storm looks incredible. So, you know. Did you stone those tights? But I'm just saying like, you know... There are a lot of fashionable women in the X-Men franchise yes, that you can yes, just yes. Like, absorb shit from. But menswear is tricky. I feel like, yeah, Christian would be a good person to bother. Warren, honestly, is always well-dressed, but not in the kind of avant-garde way that we've seen. Like, Prodigy is like youth streetwear kind of fashion now. So mm. I feel like maybe he picked that all up like while he was out with the Young Avengers, like not from one of them, but like just from being out and about in the world more. Like, if you're hanging out in New York City, now that he has his powers back, he can just go take in a, like, audit a class at FIT <laughs> one day. <laughs> he goes to Parsons for, like, 20 minutes, and he knows exactly what he's doing. I don't know what Parsons is. I am going to trust you. Parsons is part of the new school where I got my master's degree. It's the fashion wow. thing there. I didn't do fashion. My <laughs> It's also, Parsons is where they do Project Runway, or where they used to. I don't know if they still do, because I haven't watched Project Runway in, like, a million years. But okay. back in, like, right. the heyday of Project Runway, they were always at Parsons. Cool. I'm just saying, Prodigy, like, is in a fashion capital in New York. So, like, he could have gone around and absorbed things for people. But when he was on Young Avengers, he didn't have the power. So he'd have to go back now. Yeah. And also, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't cool then. They didn't get the good designers in. It's a Krakoa-era glow-up, really. And I think that that makes sense, because he has his powers back. Yes. As for what he should wear, I think lean into that like sort of cool queer streetwear aesthetic. I would like to see him in sort of fashion forward looks, but mm-hmm. it's hard. Part of it is like most superhero comic artists are not fashion designers, right? Yes. So it's a lot to ask these artists because they're not Scooby-Doo characters. Like you can't just put them in the same civilian clothes every month. So asking people to design a new street clothes outfit every month is a lot to ask, which is why a lot of the time it's like design a really cool costume. And I think that the X Factor costume he has right now, if you modified it to make it not specifically that costume, but made it sort of a streetwear inspired look, it could be really great. Like the Daughterman look for Storm that we just saw and which I adore the new Yes. That is an elevated streetwear design, much like her 80s punk design was an elevated streetwear design. This is more ornate and costumey, but it definitely looks like streetwear. And she could wear that around town with the jacket on and you wouldn't be like, this is an insane person. You know what I mean? (laughs) So (laughs) I think that's sort of the way to go, probably. It's like functional clothing, but that is superhero-y. And and keep him with the yellow color. I think that he's identified with that at this point. And it's interesting because he's not identified with it in like the training uniform way that a lot of Academy X kids are stuck in. Yeah. He is generally like doing his own look at this point. Yeah. But the gold color is definitely something that we identify now with the character. Just please no more, never again, like the clear translucent gold 
goggles. Yeah, the the yeah the professional Nerf competitor glasses <laughs> had to stop. Um, but no, I I, really, I like the costumes. I like the way that now we've it's more of a style influence than a costume. Yeah, it it has his individuality in it, and I think that's 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 perfect. That's what it needs to be. Patrick Talbot writes, hello, Connor and esteemed guest Ash. We know that Prodigy knows everything about literally everyone he's around. Whose sex life and preferences do you think he hates that he knows about? <laughs> How do you think he feels about knowing what it's like to kill all those broccoli people? What random X character's experiences do you think he truly hates to think about? Thanks. Always a fan. Patrick Talbot. That's a really funny question. That is a good question. I think he hates to know how Glob goes to the toilet. Ooh. Glob has intestines. Sure. We presume something has to come out of there. We don't know how or what, where or in what state. Let's not dwell. I think he probably hates to be around the cuckoos. Just because it's trippy. Like the feedback of that is probably weird. Yeah. Five. You're absorbing five minds because they're always fucking together. Right. But you're absorbing five minds that are all overlapped all at the same time. And you yeah, have, like you have no idea who starts where and when, and you don't know who you know or what they know or what you know. It's, I can imagine that can be really fun with. I feel like Sage is probably a rough person to be around if you're prodigy. The way that her computer mind with perfect recall would interface with his absorbing mind with perfect recall would probably just like, I mean, either they love hanging out or it really hurts his head. You know what I yeah. mean? Same with Sync. Yeah. You meet Sync, he absorbs all your memories, you absorb all his, and then it's just like, a, you know, when you put two mics together, and it's just like this horrible God, yeah. clue. Yeah. That really, yeah. I'm not sure we've ever seen them interact, and that would be, I guess they've been on panels together in Trial of Magneto, but like, I mean, having a, a conversation would be interesting. It would. Because they are the black guy of their generation. Like, put them and Sunspot on a mission together. The three of it. <laughs> just like, see how it goes. That would be amazing. I think they put... I'd love to see that. I'd love to see Bishop. That's someone whose sexual proclivities he would not enjoy absorbing. Sunspot. You know that he does not want to know anything Sunspot and Deathbird are getting up to. That is not yeah. high on his list, of his to-do list. I'd like to see him meet Solomon Vomit. That would be funny. <laughs> well, that this is, again, why, like I was saying, I think it would be so interesting to have him go to Araco because there's so much knowledge that is completely alien to Earth experience. And that would be... Mm just really funny to to see him navigate that like even just like being around abigail brand like we know that she dates aliens and stuff like what <laughs> you know what i mean like <laughs> suddenly you know all kinds of things about chimerian anatomy that you didn't want to know no i'm not the horsehead people i was trying to think of like a weird species they're like do you know there's always one alien where you're like no i don't like you you don't like the horsehead people <laughs> chimelians i think it's an l chimelians yes yeah 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 Yeah. i just don't like the proportions <laughs> and it's weird because I, I usually love you know what it is though it's because they're from power pack originally so they were drawn in this sort of like children's book kind of way yeah now when they're in like a story that's not drawn like that you're just like i'm disturbed by this creature like it's not it should not be I don't appreciate <laughs> it. Like, <laughs> I feel like if 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 one tripped, it'd just do a somersault. Like the the, the balance of it is so just wrong. like ass over tea kettle again and again and again and again. Yeah, it's a mess. That is messy. Is there an alien that you'd strike from the record if you could just not look at a Marvel alien species? Um, again? you know, in Marvel, honestly, like they mostly are inoffensive to me. There are like Star Trek aliens where I'm like, I would choose not to perceive this. Like I would. <laughs> what about the snarks? 
the snarks I think are so funny that like, I don't want to like, I, I mean, I want to get rid of them in the way that Abigail Brand did with war crimes in a story. Cause that's funny. <laughs> like it's fun to read. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I mean, I'll say like there are certain Iraqi mutants that I find deeply distressing, but I wouldn't want to get rid of them. Like they're supposed to be distressing. That's which who, who, who? Uh, I'm very perturbed by Zylo, the bug guy. I don't oh, like that. No. He seems very nice. I'm He's just, adorable. It's my eye boy problem. I'm like, <laughs> oh, like you seem lovely, but oh, I can't do it. You know? Well, so many bumps. Bumps and creases. <laughs> I'm just like, there's so much going. You have a carapace. I don't like this. Like, I'm not <laughs> feeling it. Or like the locust vial. They're supposed to be fucking horrifying, but yeah. they certainly are. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, <laughs> like I so badly wanted them to take the masks off. I know, but it's the fact that they didn't is scarier, and that's great. Except they took they took the, the mask off. Amino Amino fetus. And I was like, put it back. Put it back. I'm, put I'm that back f- where you found it. So, <laughs> oh, so help me. So help me. So help me. Like, truly put that thing back on. Right? Yeah. They took it off. I was like, I'm good off you. I'm going to need you to unwrite this, unpublish this page, and we're going to act like none of this Mr. Wells, I have a complaint to file. <laughs> no, but I mean, honestly, that's what it is. Is like, I'm I'm a body horror. Like, that's what really gets me in a way. Yeah. Where I'm like, oh. So <laughs> that <laughs> I, I, I'm like, not thinking because most of the marvel aliens are just like humans that are funny colors basically so like that bothers me less yeah but yeah when it's like to any bug people i would happily get rid of so if i'm not thinking of a bug people species that's just like yeah horrible i you know i can't i can't deal with bugs that are people sized or like compound bug eyes like i can't i just can't fuck with that (laughs) so I guess that would be my answer. But then before we jump into the next question, just to sort of, sort of answer on an interesting thing, because you, you literally inspired me to think about this. <laughs> I just I just waggle my eyebrows. I love to inspire people. That's all. <laughs> but uh, because he knows so much about people, it would be so interesting for him to meet non-human shaped mutants and understand like what attraction is for them. Because mutants are yes. so varied that it's not like there's 17 eye boys. It's not like there's 21 rock slides. It's you're always, if you're a different shaped mutant, chances are you're going to have to find a way to make it work with another different shaped mutant. And he might know how, for example... Are Xylo and Sobinar a couple? Like, what's that like? You, we don't you know. know. I'd, right. I'd love to see like just a, a running bit of him vomiting, meeting certain people, and you know that he knows something horrific, and he just never tells you what it is. <laughs> <laughs> You know who that would be? No, he's met Tony Stark. I was like, it would be funny for him to meet Tony Stark and just suddenly be like absolutely nauseated by <laughs> some disgusting sexual proclivity he's now <laughs> learned, but they have met, unfortunately, before. But Solemn would be a good character to do that with. I like that idea of yours. It's good. <laughs> Last question. Krakoa Welcomes writes. Oh, oh, oh. Hi, Connor and Ash. If you had the power of telepathic skill osmosis, what talent would you use it to gain from which of your previous guests on your respective podcast? <laughs> Genius. Kirko always brings it. You go first. You go first. You go first. Well, I mean, I am a fucking idiot about foreign policy. So Spencer Ackerman, just like sitting in a room with him, period, is always enlightening. But being able to absorb half of his knowledge of political science would be extremely enlightening. I would love to absorb everything that people like 
Teeny Howard, Jerry Duggan have learned about writing over the years. You know, Teeny's talked so much about what Jonathan Hickman has taught her when they've worked together. And I'm just like, yeah. by osmosis, it could be like Jonathan Hickman taught me, you know? <laughs> like, and then it would be like, at the same time, Teeny yeah. be teaching me, Jerry be teaching me. As a creative, that would be like really exciting. Obsessed. Darcy Little Badger is like a biologist or something. Like she's some kind of brilliant scientist. I forget what she does, but some kind of like natural sciences. I'm really bad at science. So like I've had a lot of people on this show who have expertises that I, ooh, ooh. Valentine Smith is on this show all the time. I want to, like, how do I fucking draw? That would be great. Yes. I would love to draw like that. Valentine spent her whole life learning how to draw like that. And I could just like, boop. This is why people don't like David. <laughs> like we are we building like a really like ah, what's what's that series fucking uh, how could i forget his name i love jeff jeff the land shark yeah 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 yeah. do you know like a tiny i would love like a tiny slice of life series where david just meets random people and he either vomits or they just go fuck you he walks up they look at each other for a second he goes fuck you and leaves I would love so much of his, his his absorption to be the overarching sort of meta text of the book, but us just guessing at what all of these little fucking reactions are. Yeah, no, that would be fun. So yeah, that's, so I guess like for me, it honestly would be the creative skills. Like I've had so many writers on, the people I already mentioned, Lena Williams, Mike Carey, Steve Orlando, my friend and client. So many people who I just really respect as artists, Anthony Oliveira, Jay Edidin, just like lots of, Daniel Kibblesmith, lots of really talented, I'm like, I'm like now worried I'm going to forget somebody. Everybody. If I didn't say your name, it's because now I'm in a panic and I'm not going to remember people. But, and in the same way, artists like Valentine or Josh Cornillon or Karen Charm, like I would just love to be able to absorb some of those hard-learned creative skills because those really sometimes feel like they can't be taught. Yes. Because like he can't get what's innate to you. So it'd be interesting to see what creatively you are able to absorb from an art because it would be the things that they've learned, not the things that are intrinsic to their person. That's amazing. Right? So you so, have all the, all the technical skill, but none of the... Yeah, without stealing their talent. Like, because yeah. he can't do that. You know, he can only take the, the technical aptitude. Hmm. So yeah, what about your show? Who would you steal stuff from, from your show? Uh, I would probably, so purely because we just spoke about him and he's top of my mind, I'd probably go for like Al. Al is a gymnast. Oh. I used to do a lot of gymnastics, but now I am older and heavier and weaker. And so I don't want to risk it because I don't want to break my spine. But if I yeah. could, I'd take the gymnastics from Al. You're so tall, though. That'd be hard, wouldn't it? Like you're six feet, six foot one, right? Yeah. You mentioned earlier when we were talking about the plants. I don't yeah. just like know that. I'm not <laughs> like a stalker. <laughs> I asked how tall he was because the, the plants were very tall. So I wanted to know. I'm just saying like gymnasts are usually like I'm five, eight and gymnasts are usually shorter than me, male gymnasts, because you yeah. got to be like real, got to be flipping all over the place. Yeah. Low center of gravity does help sometimes. But I, that would be cool. I'd love to see a six foot one gymnast do this thing. <laughs> 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 That'd be quite, quite shocking and impressive to see, I imagine. Um, same as the same as you. I'd probably go for like artistic skill, like Bradley, mm-hmm. Bradley and Josh. Yeah. God, they're so good. You can follow Knife system. Knife system. And what's Josh's at? <laughs> See, this means I haven't talked to Josh enough. Do you know how many ats I have in my head? It's literally just Josh Cornell. It's yeah, his name. Yes, yes, yeah. And he's been on the show, so the listeners know. 
him. I know. That's always that's always my sign that I haven't spoken to people enough because usually I have like a I've got a list of people's ads that I can just right recite yeah yeah no, of course. But yeah, so the artistic skill. Then I would probably go for um, Wes. Wes Andre. Like Wes. Wes comes on the show and Wes can do this thing uh, that I think is innate that I really admire. Uh, it just makes you feel instantly super listened to. Mm. Like he, the way he does this, he, I, I call them like therapy grade affirmations. When you're talking, he goes, mm, 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 mm. <laughs> yeah, mm, mm. that I would take that. Listening is a skill that you learn. It is. I mean, some people are naturally good at it, but it is something that takes work for sure. Definitely. That's a good answer. I would lift that a thousand percent. <laughs> well, Ash, is there anything else you'd like to say about Prodigy before we start to wrap? Um, no. I mean, he's it's, it's come a long way, baby. Yeah, yeah. He's doing all right for himself, and let's hope that let's hope that he carries on. I hope so. Why don't you tell the listeners where they can follow you online and plug your show and anything else you want to plug? Yeah, I mean, um, I'm 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 Ash. I've been Ash. Uh, I do basically this because <laughs> <laughs> it is now one a.m. Here. It sure is. Thank you for No, no, I'm just like staying up. If you want if you want some of this much shorter with much higher energy, <laughs> come to <laughs> come to X of Words. Uh we do like mutant questions, we got single questions, different guests every episode. We chat a lot of shit, we have a lot of fun. There's a ticking timer, uh loads of extra stuff and silly stuff, you know, I throw up little visual threads, little read along things. Uh it's basically mutants, low brown mutants. With a lot of fun, and we do a lot of uh, black and queer perspectives as well. Yeah. Uh, so we try to make sure that we do takes and mistakes. There you go. I really like it. I've been on it, but I also listen. It's like a fun breather between like any more serious part of your day. Like, because you, everybody's, we all got 15 minutes. You know what I mean? Like, it's not. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's not a huge ask. Like, sometimes it's like, I'm walking to the supermarket. What should I listen to? Like, oh, there's a new one of these. You know what I mean? And it's yes. it's really nice that way. So you can follow Ash at Van the First yes, on Twitter. V-A-N-T-H-E-F-I-R-S-T. Not the H. What? <laughs> <laughs> Do you have, like, Instagram or anybody else that you would recommend people follow you yeah 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 if you want to follow me on instagram it's exactly the same thing if you want to follow x of words that's x o f w o r d s x the letter of words x of words ah yeah you know we're all smart you put it together yeah we got it we're smart people that's all that's it so that's instagram and twitter both of those handles both of those places uh thank you thank you Connor, for, for having me man this was this is epic well thank you so much for being my guest this was so much fun. This was really a lot of fun. Thank you for doing it. And thank you for staying up late. <laughs> you can follow Cerebro on Instagram and Twitter at CerebroCast. You can follow me on Twitter at Dream of Organon or on Instagram at Connor Goldsmith. You can find all of the episodes plus links to the Discord server, the merch store, and much, much more at CerebroCast.com, the official landing page for the podcast. Questions are now open for Omega Red with Ben Percy. And again, you can ask general questions about Ben Percy's work as well, but please keep it X-Men related. And then Laura Kinney with Zoe Tunnell. More announcements to come. Questions are now closed for the Nate Gray episode because by the time you hear this, I have already recorded it. <laughs> Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. If you're a Christmas person, hope you're all having a good time. Thank you so much for all of your support. The Entertainment Weekly thing is still blowing my fucking mind. I'm so grateful you're all here. 
For $5 a month at the House of Zaladine tier at patreon.com slash Cerebrocast, you can get an ad-free experience plus bonus files, which I swear to God, the bonus episode, Secret Files, there are more coming soon. These episodes have been so fucking long. 2022, I swear to God, these episodes are going to be a more manageable length and there's going to be more bonus content. (laughs) But until such time, you get the ad-free episodes the moment that they go up. Until next time, everybody, thank you for listening and bye. Bye. X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. The only hope is to 